This is a Culture Inject production. The Nevers Podcast presents Firefly Back in the Skies. to all of our listeners welcome back to a very special episode of firefly back in the skies because today's discussion is all about serenity that's right we're talking about the movie serenity and it's even more special because i'm joined by the entire podcast crew i'm laura and i'll let the guys introduce themselves i'm jason i am chirag and i am tyg And today we are discussing Serenity, set 500 years in the future. Serenity continues the story of the Firefly's crew as they try to evade the operative, an assassin sent to recapture Telepath River. Hands and knees and heads bowed down, everybody now. We're coming down to empty that vault. You have to give me your authorization password. Okay. This landing is gonna get pretty interesting. Define interesting. Oh God, oh God, we're all gonna die. This is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. River. We're going for a ride. She's a mentally traumatized 17-year-old girl. She's not going with you, and that's final. Hello again. Lock on fire and my command. What I do is evil. I have no illusions about it, but it must be done. I brought her out here so they couldn't get to her. You all know what it is you're carrying. Where are you hiding, little girl? They have gone to enormous trouble to find a little friend. It's worse than you know. It usually is. That girl will rain destruction down on you and your ship. Every minute you keep River from me, more people will die. Oh, God. I know the secret. If I'm wrong, you best shoot me now. Or we could talk more. This film was released in 2005, and the events of Serenity occur a few months after the events of the final episode of Firefly. So, our first question for what will promise to be an educated discussion. Which did you watch first, Firefly or Serenity? For myself, for my sins, I watched Serenity first. I knew Firefly was a big thing, but this was in the dark ages pre-Netflix and streaming. So if you wanted to actually watch the show, you had to track down someone that owned the hard copy and watch it yourself. So I just went to the cinema and saw Serenity. Absolutely loved it. And then the moment I got the chance, picked up the DVD and loved it all the more. I was going to say, I'll go next, because I was the same. I also saw the movie first. Um, I did not see it in cinema, and I did not know a Firefly at all um, at the time that I watched it. And it was probably a good couple years where Serenity was one of my favourite movies before I actually ventured into watching Firefly, which was why I think on the rewatch of the movie, having rewatching it straight after doing the Firefly rewatch with Tyg for the podcast... It felt very different because I don't think I've ever watched the series and then watched the film straight afterwards. Um, So this was a new experience for me. But um, yeah, guys. I actually, same as the three of you, um, a friend of mine wanted to go see, he's like, hey, you want to go see a movie? I'm like, sure. He's like, we're going to go see Serenity. I'm like, okay, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and, uh, and and I left the theater and I was just wowed. Because up until that point, I had a very limited view on, on, on sci-fi. I was like, I love Star Trek. Star Wars is okay. And 
a lot. Okay, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you know that TV sci-fi at the time wasn't particularly great. So I was like, yeah. Uh, but no, I was wowed by it, and um, I, I didn't uh, watch the show until the movie came out on DVD, and then I got the box set, and uh, I, I was very, very, very much hooked. And that led me into watching Whedon's other stuff. Yeah, I was just saying, I, I don't even remember the, the whole biography of like what I saw first or where, what happened when, just the... Um, the timestamp of Firefly or, or Serenity. I think I think I saw Serenity first, like a really long time ago, with no idea w- like what Firefly is, and it just as a movie, it was it was really good, you know, it was a good movie. And then Firefly just came much much later, independently of that experience, no no attachment whatsoever. Um, my introduction to Whedon's work was Buffy. Um, hmm. I'm the Netflix generation, uh, uh, Gen, Gen, Gen Z, I think, whatever. Gen X. N. Gen X. You're Gen X. I think yeah. I'm Gen Z. I'm, no, I'm the Zoomer I, generation. I, I meant to say Gen N for Netflix, but I, I screwed up Gen X by accident. Oh, which is gen. It really yeah. should be. I, f- I, I feel like I might be the only Xer in this conversation. I have actually no clue which is what. I, like, were you, are you 80s? I always okay, imagine it's see? like when you reach adulthood in the new millennium, you're a you're a millennial because then you can start buying. Yeah, I, I always so, yeah. thought I always thought it was my generation because I'm born in the early nineties and I always thought that we were the millennials. And then when yeah, but it's the eighties babies, is it? Okay, I believe so. Y'all got on this boat for different reasons, but y'all come to the same place. So now I'm asking more of you than I have before. Sure as I know anything, I know this. I am to misbehave. Talking about Serenity, uh, I don't think we'll really read out this big uh, prologue. Um, but it's a similar similar entry that we get to like each episode of the the TV show, right? Mm. You know, Earth. I had forgotten about the uh, about the the Firefly equivalent of Space the Final Frontier until I watched the show. I'm like, oh, yeah. But and I, but I like how it was different with each character who said it. You know, Mal yeah. was much more rough versus versus books much more refined. It is kind of the anti-Star Trek. It's the future we don't want. Yeah. Mm. I still say it's the future that happened after the old ones were released at the end of Captain in the Woods. Sorry for the spoiler. Uh, I read that <laughs> theory and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. But I do like one thing they do in this film, which I've only seen done a few times. I think Waterworld was possibly the first to do it, where they had the Universal logo come up and there's the planet, obviously it's Universal. And then the ca- instead of that fading away and the film starting, the camera just pans in and you see the ships all leaving Earth from the Earth that was part of the Universal logo. It's like, that's a really slick way to go from like you know, adverts and announcements into the film really seamlessly very very skillfully done which is classic Whedon really I mean it, 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 the, the whole opening is so strong oh yeah which is which is I mean it, as you know, being more on the script writing side of things this is it, it really appeals to me because you need you need that strong opening and then and then you essentially get the narration and then a dream and then a hologram like it's it's, it's, yeah. like, it's like it's like it's like three fake outs in a row, mm. <laughs> while while telling an incredible amount of story in something like three minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and much yeah. better than like you know the Green Lantern movie did it. 
Oh, God, that film was terrible. I've I've watched that movie three times and I still don't remember anything about it. I think it has like a six minute intro of them like telling you the entire Green Lantern backstory. And it's like, oh my days, this is like so heavy. And then it's followed by a terrible movie. (laughs) Well, Pacific Rim does the same thing, but Pacific Rim does it better. Yeah. Oh, okay. Pacific Rim has a huge opening explanation, like all narration. But yeah, I think Serenity does a good job of it. It's kind of like, and it keeps you interested enough. Mm. Um, like, because, yeah, the narration goes to be the, the teacher in the classroom. And then, like you say, we get, like, I kind of forgot how many, like, jumpy bits there are in this oh, film. Yeah. And yeah. That, I, I don't know what it says on the back of the DVD, but I would imagine it says sci-fi, thriller, or, like, action. Um because yeah, it was quite quite jumpy and scary, really. Because the whole way through the movie, you're getting all these flashes of like dead bodies, which I kind of I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, not you know, like, about you know but- what I like about that, like the opening classroom shot is the just like the visual coherence of River's inner world. It has this really like overexposed, like really bright, dreamy quality to it. Mm. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And you, but every time you're in that world, you know you're mm-hmm. in that world. And uh, yeah. and then like just the teacher like shoves the needle in her forehead and we transition to this <laughs> the absolute opposite this dark dingy like uh, torture lab mm-hmm. and uh, yeah it, it is a very strong opening. I'll, yeah, I'll actually I'll actually one up you on that uh, you. because yeah, <laughs> as you say like like her her world is overexposed. Then you switch to the lab, which is you know very you know cold and blue, so that when she gets triggered, it's blue and overexposed. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, like there's there's a lot of visual coherence in this movie, so the production design is is, is fantastic. Um, and yeah, like I said it, it it's so good because yeah, so she's in the classroom. We get the story of. Where we are, when we are, we introduce the good guys, the bad guys, and my notes are incomplete because I put bad guys as alliance only, which is technically true. The Reavers are more victims than bad guys, but 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 listen, in the in the in this small moment, and and the kids describe what the Reavers are like, which is wonderful because you get that 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 you know they don't really their children don't really un- quite understand the consequences of you know the things they're saying. And how River is, like, the only one there kind of against this whole alliance indoctrination. Like, just when she speaks back against the teacher. Yeah, that uh, oh, yeah. That, that sort of bit, and she's kind of, she's giving a bit of sass, and then the, the, the syringe comes in. It's ugh, mm-hmm. so fucked up. Which is kind of like, that's kind of foreshadowing in a way of the whole story of the film, right? Mm. Because it's about the alliance trying mm. to make all of the citizens <laughs> obedient, and she's the one that, like, has something to mm-hmm. say. She's um, 0.5 percent. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> but um. So yeah, the uh, the 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 hard cut from the from the needle in the head to to Simon Rivering to Simon rescuing her. So we go from a dream to uh, which we don't know right away, but it's it's a video file. So we think we're in the we're in the present. We're not in the present. It's another fake out. But we see how Simon Simon breaks her out and. Um, it, it kind of gives a dimension to the Simon character we never really saw before and even didn't really that the promise of that didn't really pay off as I mean there's only so much you can do with this with the, with the, with a movie but it showed it, it was nice to see that dimension of Simon that we never saw before it's a huge 
kind of jump from where he was, even in, he was starting to show that backbone in uh, Objects in Space. But like, if you compare this Simon, you know, like conning the Alliance and breaking River out of a high security facility to like the sort of almost bumbling, I'm just a doctor, I can't do that, Simon, from like episodes kind of one through four. it kind of it feels like a huge amount of growth, but at the same time, it almost feels like regression because we know all this happened mm-hmm. before the parts that we saw where he was being all kind of bumbling and helpless. So it's like, where was that, Simon, during the <laughs> yeah. show? Well, I think that's like, just an allowance to be made, like because this is like this is movie Simon, like this is uh, uh, he's on cinematic steroids here, and you need to <laughs> you need to do that for the audience who doesn't know anything about the show to like understand that what this guy did he he's rescued his sister he is like the the hero of his plot armor finally kicked in i do think this applies to as we meet all the characters um like i say watching this immediately after watching the season i feel like um all the characters are very slightly not exactly as we expect them to be um, yeah. because they are like Chirag says the movie versions and we have to we have to be reintroduced to these characters and you know it can be like part explained by the fact that it's a few months later and stuff's happened but I do think that they're not entirely how we would expect them to be even after that gap um, because mm-hmm. yeah they have to be received by a new audience mm-hmm. who may have not watched the seasons right so mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think there has to be a little bit of, of leeway when watching it but um to to expand on what uh, what Chirag said also is that the uh, I apologize am I am I saying it right is it Chirag or Chirag because uh, I've only ever read if your you name. get it remotely <laughs> close you're fine e- either or is good <laughs> it's fair enough good. Um, to come back to your point about Simon like this is Simon on steroids but at the same time if you kind of look at the character it makes a certain amount of sense because he at some point before this he's made the decision he's going to going to break his sister out so him and this group that you know lowered the lower the the little elevator thing they come up with a plan so he has you know the short-term plan i just have to do these steps and i'll break my sister out and then once he's on on fire flying the show it's a whole new world and he doesn't necessarily know how to react to that so i i will accept the his his behavior from one to the other oh yeah that is true because when he's operating in that world of you know in that in in the alliance and that government place you know in the elitists club he can he can play that role fine that is his i guess in that lingo his ordinary world but then when he crosses the threshold into the serenity and he walks onto that ship in his devil looking suit with his big like cryo chamber <laughs> sister it's like in that that's 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 the where the trials happen for him where whereas like if you take mal and exactly. you put him in that situation that's that's completely foreign to him so that's that's a good point mm-hmm. mm. it does kind of feel like the growth we're seeing in that scene of him rescuing his sister is very similar to the growth we see from him during the series in ariel when we see him kind of going back into his world in ariel we see him you know like when he saves the guy that's on the operating table it's like you know this is simon finally being able to be his true simon again so it almost feels as if they're showing us this part now of simon you know getting getting his rescue on to sort of show the growth in you know one scene that we got to see in the whole episode before just to kind Mm. of 
catch everyone up that hasn't seen the film to the point that we all know he's at if we have seen the series. I think that's a good, uh, mm. that's a good, good assessment. Do we want to talk about the the operative? Oh, oh I always want to talk about the operative. I, I see no listing of rank or, or name. I have neither. Like this facility, I don't exist. Let's talk about the times. I assume you've scanned the status log. River was your greatest success. A prodigy. A phenomenon. Until her brother walked in here and took her from you. It's not quite so simple. I'm well aware of that. There was no way that I could... No, no, of course. The boy spent his entire fortune developing the contacts to infiltrate this place. Gave up a brilliant future in medicine as well. It's madness. Madness? Have you looked at this scan carefully, Doctor? At his face? It's love, in point of fact. Something a good deal more dangerous. Why are you here? Because the situation is even less simple than you think. Do you know what your sin is, Doctor? I wonder if you... It's pride. Key members of Parliament have personally observed this subject. I was told the Alliance's support. Key members of Parliament. Key. The minds behind every military, diplomatic and covert operation in the galaxy. And you put them in a room with a psychic. If, if, if there was some classified information that she, she... She never spoke of it. I don't know what it is. Nor do I. And judging by her deteriorating mental state, I'd say we're both better off. Secrets are not my concern. Keeping them is. You know, in certain older civilized cultures, when men failed as entirely as you have, they would throw themselves on their swords. Well, unfortunately, I forgot to bring a sword. I would put that down right now if I Would you be killed in your sleep like an ailing pet? Young miss. Young miss, I'll need all the logs on behavioral modification triggers. We'll have to reach out to River Time and help her to come back to us. No matter how far our time is. This is a good death. There's no shame in this. In a man's death, a man who has done fine works. We're making a better world. All of them. Better world. Young miss, I need you to go to work now. I think I may have a long way to travel. I, I think we all love the operative. Yes. <laughs> love is a strong word. Admire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, okay, look at I like the opera because he is a fully realized character. Yeah. And 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 everyone has something to do in the movie, but essentially the top three characters are are in our River, 
Malcolm and the operative because they all have a complete and full full arc. Yeah. Uh, so you, you come in and and, and uh, you, you meet this operative when he just he just he just he just has such wonderful screen presence. Mm. He's so calm. He just like demands your attention without being flashy. Yeah. Can I say something about that real quick? Uh, about the operative in general, it, there is a kind of and him as an extension of the alliance. There's a kind of pretense of politeness, like. He uses yes. this kind of um, uh, this honor and and politeness and righteousness, like and it's all about a world with no sin. And the way he mm-hmm. uses the the Japanese ritual of falling on your own sword, that's a nobility ritual, right? It, it's it's about doing it's about doing the right thing. And then like we segue into uh, the Serenity crew, who on the surface are the exact opposite of the of the operative they're like they're scoundrels and sinners and criminals they're like robbing banks and and they're so straightforwardly selfish and exploitive and unrighteous and you know like jane's like let's be bad guys and you know that's that's who the crew are and this very interesting like funny framing of the protagonists as lovable bad guys and then the antagonist as this scary frightening good guy that's uh, very good, and the uh, pretense of politeness. I'm going to write that down. That's that's <laughs> that's uh, that's amazing, man. <laughs> How you sum up the entire alliance in three words? <laughs> no, it is great. Um, and uh, of course, you know, we we this is a case where we also foreshadow foreshadow the ending mm. yeah. in that he uses the little the little nerve trick on the on the guy on the the chief scientist. Great move. So, so, so we introduce a skill he has, you know, which will come back later to in this case, in his case, bite him. But uh, it's uh, like I said that this whole opening, and then you get to the firefly, or get then you get to the serenity, which is in itself just a whole amazing sequence. Well, I was going to say we have mm. two two moments that kind of are at the end as well. So he talks about love. He says, Simon, that look in his face, that's not a madman, mm-hmm. that's love. Okay, oh, and that's what Mal line. talks about at the end. And then we have Mal's, yes. Mal's very first line, which is, what was that? Which, again, is the very last line of the film. So they literally start and end the film in the exact same oh, way. Oh, is that true? <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah. Is his nice. first line, what was that? What is that yes. in reference to? What was that? Yeah. When, when the thing With, fell uh, off the, the show. primary buffer panel gets blown off. <laughs> in the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, right at the beginning. That's the yeah, first. When, uh, the fireflies coming through uh, the sky, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> the, um... Okay, okay, so here's what I love about that, is that we get a sense of geography because you introduce the strandy and you do a full fly around yep. from front, from side, around the back, up to the front, then through the window. So we know the external configuration of firefly. They're Serenity. Then we go in and we meet, meet you know Mal and Mal and Wash, and kind of get some prevailing aspects of their per, and their personality. Then we follow them through the ship, so we understand where everything is relative to everyone else, and then meet the rest of the crew. We find out Jane is Jane is you know he's the muscle and he loves weapons. <laughs> Jane's the first Jane uh, sorry Zoe's the first officer, and she's married to Wash. In the simple line, ask your husband. It's so elegant. Mm-hmm. Kaylee, she's calm under pressure, and we see more that Mal might be a bit of a cheapskate when it comes to repairing the ship. And then we reintroduce Simon and River. And it's, it's oh my God, guys, it's so, 
I look, I'm all about the opening and setup and this, this whole, this whole scene, like this whole series of scenes, it's, it's a masterclass on setting up your characters in your mm. world. And doing it in such a concise way. Like the whole scene is like, what, four minutes long? And you literally know everything you need to know about those characters by the end of it. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. Although I would say, I don't think Kaylee's line about the thing being broken and not being repaired for ages is like to me i didn't read that as mal being cheap to me I, that that came across as just these guys are living by the skin of their teeth they are working job to job one missed payload and they're fucked sorry i don't know if i had to swear but <laughs> too late i just did sorry <laughs> like it just shows kind of how dire their straits are which sets up the kind of the end of that intros line with um the conversation that happens between zoe and mal later on so it's it just it's more brilliant kind of uh, not quite foreshadowing but it's just perfect world building and so concise so he does every he does things in three words that most people take five minute monologues to do mm. it's genuinely a masterclass oh just just, just yeah complete mastery of, of show don't tell and when you tell as you said use you know keep it simple yeah i mean he literally introduces all of the characters within like a couple minutes just by walk, having Mal walk through the ship and it's not forced in the slightest. These are all normal interactions that these guys would have on a daily basis and it's just so natural yep. and brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I mean, going like character by character and just like the lines that they say, like mm-hmm. it's just script gold, right? <laughs> mm. Oh, I say, and then of course, you know, then they, they, they you know... Uh, we get to we get a hint that uh, there's an attraction between Kaylee and Simon, but he but but he's so but he's so worried about River he doesn't notice and it, it's just show don't tell it's so oh my god like it it's so good it's also quite interesting like I'm going back going to, sort of bouncing on something you said earlier Jason like it shows the the vast difference between the kind of the cool calm very collected air quotes nice seeming operative and then this utter bundle of chaos that is the crew of the serenity but at the same time like that's the surface level impression if you, if you go a little bit deeper this crew like there there's clearly just this tight family this unit that works so well together. like they would do anything mm. for each other so they, they, they may seem rough on the outside but actually they are quite good people at their hearts in counterpoints to the opening scene with the operative where he's this cool calm you know wearing a suit looking very fancy guy who just straight up murders a dude for seemingly no reason it's like like if you just looked at the like if you saw the operative in his sharp suit you know looking very looking very nice and commanding and then the the crew of the freaking serenity looking like they they're one bad day away from robbing you it's like you would want to go with the operative guy he seems like the nicer bet and then you say the wrong word or do the wrong thing and he will straight up murder you and the crew of the serenity they'll be the ones defending you because they look a bit dodgy but they're good people deep down and that is just i love that so much this is actually what i love about these conversations where we're, where we're all putting our heads together because because, 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 Teg, like it, it's actually that's so well done. Because yes, the contrast between the two of them is like, well, you did wrong, so you're going to get killed. Whereas, you know, we don't have an example of, of of that here, but I mean, we have had examples of the crew betraying each other, and they don't kill the, they don't kill each other. Yeah. yeah, and if they if they do kill each other or kill anyone, um, sorry, they 
they feel bad about it, right? They only kill yeah. when they have to because it's the way of surviving. Whereas the operative is killing because he's told to and he doesn't seem to show any, any emotionality in himself because of that. Like he, at least not until the very end of the movie do we see any like human part of this guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with these guys, and for me, like the whole theme, like the, the biggest thing I take from this movie is like, they're the underdogs, right? They're the underdogs of society. They're like scraping to try and survive and they become heroes. And Here we are on the raggedy that, edge. That, <laughs> yeah, Great that for me line. is like the big thing of the movie and like why I think I love this film so much because they're just like regular people and they kind of scramble around, but they do amazing things. On something that you were saying just now, um, I wanted to kind of uh, shift the comparison point between the crew and the operative to, uh, I guess, bring the Reavers into the fold. These are just a few of the images we've recorded. And you can see, it isn't what we thought. There's been no war here. And no terraforming event. The environment is stable. It's the PAX. The G23 Paxilon hydrochlory that we added to the air processors. It was supposed to calm the population, weed out aggression. Well, it works. The people here stopped fighting. And then they stopped everything else. They stop going to work. They stop breathing, talking, eating. There's 30 million people here and they all just let themselves die. I have to be quick. About a tenth of a percent of the population had the opposite reaction to the packs. Their aggressor response increased beyond madness. They have become Well, they've killed most of us. And not just killed. They've done things. Reavers. They made them. I won't live to report this. But people have to know. We meant it for the best. To make people safer. Because what you were just saying about, you know, like killing with purpose or without purpose, I think that conversation that Jane and Kaylee were having, they were talking about the Reavers and Jane was like, he doesn't understand why the Reavers kill people for no reason. Um, but he does understand why he himself kills people for a reason. And then he like just mm-hmm. has this laundry list of reasons he kills people. <laughs> like, oh, there's money, uh, women involved, uh, you know, whatever. What, all the reasons. The exactly. Way. Looks at me the wrong way. And, but, but the, see, like the Reavers, they kill without purpose. And that's what's so scary about them. Like they, they don't exist with meaning or purpose. They don't believe in anything. All they are is this, like this blind, indifferent appetite and libido. And I think that's also what makes zombies scary. And I think that's also what makes the universe scary to a lot of people. It's like, 
a lot of people see the. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I, it, it's a completely different thing. It's but I, you made me think about the Reavers a little bit, mm-hmm. and that is that. Okay, they might be all like rage crazed zombies essentially, but they operate ships. Yeah. So which means they have to they have to have some sort of higher brain function still to be able to have a a social structure where they don't just kill it because they just kill each other they all be dead. When they operate ships and maintain life support and 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 they they do make decisions. So I mean, obviously we never got a chance to really really analyze it, but I. I think there's a whole interesting conversation about the true depth of the of, of what happened to the to the people who became reavers. Oh, well, I think I think just metaphorically, that's exactly what we are. I think we are. I mean, if you look at the like the Brave New World parallels of this movie, and I, I don't want to like make this into too much of like a like a lit essay. I know, like I <laughs> sure like for the first four episodes, I've talked the ear off of <laughs> whatever audience was there. Uh, <laughs> it's the philosophically and metaphorically, it's the idea like objects in space is the title of the episode but it's like wh- what are we without meaning without purpose and in the world that we live in to hearken to brave new world this kind of rationalist materialist myth like we see ourselves as nothing more than a random bundle of atoms right and like if that's the case who fucking cares if we dump oil in the ocean there's no meaning to anything the only reason I'm here is to consume and consume and satisfy all my base appetites and sex and gluttony and adrenaline entertainment when there's nothing bigger than yourself to believe in there's nothing meaningful to live for no purpose you might as well be nothing more than an object in space and that's what that episode means for me and then like there's these things that give us our humanity and separate us from blind and different debris just floating from like macy's to jc penny and i think so i won't take talk too long but i think what one thing i would kind of counter about the crew feeling like a family is that in the beginning they very much don't feel like a family like they're they're fractious and they're quibbling and the only reason they're together is to serve themselves like mal is only interested in me and mine he says that he wants to keep the ship flying and food on the table simon is just there to protect his own interests his sister he doesn't care about anything or anyone else he completely misses the cue from Kaylee. Uh, he's like, he tells River to leave them to die. Kaylee just wants something like twixt her nethers, I think is what she said. <laughs> yeah. Jane, yeah. Jane is just there for the money. Wash is there for his wife. Inara and Book already fractured off and left. So it feels like the whole crew, like the Beatles are falling apart at the seams with Simon and River leaving and like everybody being driven off one by one. And the last thing I would say about that is that I don't think that community can survive when it's in service to itself. Like, community is about being in service to something greater than the self. And that's what happens when Book dies and the crew all have something to fight for. That's when they come together for real as a family. Like, the same thing in Avengers when, like, the Coulson guy dies. Yeah, they all come together. It's a catalyst that needs to bring everybody together for real. No, you're you're right. I very much like that. And I was actually going to say because I, I forgot to mention this when 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 we when we when we reintroduced Simon on Sarandi, it's like that that conversation took or that that relationship took a back step, because in the series 
Mal accepts Simon as part of the Simon and River as part of the crew. Right. The, the episode where it's like, why'd you come back for us? It's like, you're part of my crew. Um, and, we, and I mean, I understand we had to back stuff, but you're right. Because, and we, we uh, all of you had commented that, you know, things have happened in, in the last mm. few months because Anara's gone, Book's gone. The, uh, the, the, the relationship between Malcolm and, and Simon ha, ha, has, has taken, has taken steps backwards. So, yeah, so you're, you're right. It, it, it's kind of back to where it was the beginning where everyone's, everyone's on Serenity for their own reasons that are, uh, we'll say mostly self-serving. <laughs> um, and uh, the story is also about them coming, you know, really coming together in service of something bigger than themselves. Right. So, uh, well, well done, my man. That was actually one of the things that I slightly, I slightly dislike about the start of this film. Like, I understand that they've had to sort of redo things and they've had to kind of rebuild the character growth for the, so that people who haven't seen the film, like apparently all of us who went to see the film without having seen the series, can kind of <laughs> understand who these people are and where they're coming from. But watching mm-hmm. it straight after, like watching it now as a fan of the series. It does. I mean, I think Laurie said it earlier. Everyone just feels slightly off. I don't understand how, like, what could have happened in that. I think it's eight months between the end of the show and the start of the movie. What could have happened in that time that took Mal from "You're my crew. Why are we still talking about this?" to "I'm only out for me and mine, and that doesn't include you." Like, it feels like they've turned him into a bit of a dick just so that he'll have, you know, a growth arc during the film, and so that. Yeah, as you when when Book dies and they have that let's all come together moment, it's kind of it feels more earned, but it it doesn't really feel earned to me. And I also so I mentioned it during our discussions of the episode. I really love the kind of the friendship between Jane and Book throughout the series. So it feels kind of odd now watching the film when Book dies and Mal's all cut up about it, and so it, and Jane doesn't really seem to care. Like, yeah. like, obviously he cares in as much as Jane cares about anything that isn't himself or Vera. But, like, it, it feels like there should have been more of a moment there where he was like, damn, my boy died. What the hell? And he kind of, it didn't, it didn't happen. Uh, can, I, if I, can, I, can I talk about character, actually come back to what you're saying about character arc for a minute? Always. Because Serenity's, a, Serenity's a, a unique one in that you can watch the movie without having seen the show. But understanding Mal's arc depends on having watched the show because they don't really they don't talk like they hint at his the Battle of Serenity and he, you know, the line starts to warn he volunteers. But they don't really get into the fact that that uh, the Battle of Serenity Valley is what broke Malcolm mm-hmm. and left and left him, as he says, a man without a rudder. He, he goes where the wind takes him and he has this this underlying trauma. And and you know what? I, I would hazard a guess from a storytelling perspective that that he did grow close to his crew, but then he was worried about losing them, so he pushed them all away. And that's kind of and that's kind of where we're at now. And without something to fight for, without something bigger than himself, without uh, without um, being in service to something or someone else, um, Mal is a terrible, terrible person because at the end, we see the Mal we all want to see. The the like he's still Malcolm, but he's much more caring, much more, much more of an open, complete person. And like I say this this movie is so unique in that sense is that you can you can understand 
somewhat of why he is the way he is without having watched the show. But when you watch the show, you get all these extra pieces to to really understand understand the man. And I and I agree with you, uh, Tag, about about when she, when Book died because they had started establishing a relationship between Book and uh, Book and uh, Jane in the show. And it feels like that got left behind, and unfortunately, I think that's just the consequence of switching to the to the movie medium. I think what we we have to kind of just take this movie in a silo by itself, and in the context of this movie, there there's no as far as like if you don't know what Firefly is, there's no relationship between Jane and Book that needs to that there's no thing that needs to be shown like that would just be an easter egg for people who've seen the show essentially it wouldn't serve this story that's being told right now and the like the function that book serves in the story is to tell mal that like book is mal's i guess i don't want to say like old like wizard sage with the with the words (laughs) of wisdom but no but 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 he's he's the mentor he's he's the mentor mentor slash impact character Mm. i don't care what you believe in you just have to believe something strong line yeah he gives him the main the main reason to go off and be the hero and we're going to get there but that's fundamentally the see the theme of the the ultimate theme of the movie is belief you know the the dangers of no belief, the dangers of false belief, as as we see between the contrast between Malcolm and the and and the operative. But uh, come back to what you're saying, uh, Chirag, about the um, uh, about the crew. You know, kind of being there for their own reasons. Uh, the bank job actually does give us a hint of what they can be, because they go in and they all work together like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, I think. Like Chirag said, we have to kind of take the movie as the movie and the series as the series. There are obviously things that go between them and then there are things that are kind of established on their own. And I think not just, yeah, the Jane book thing um, is one thing that after watching the season, you're a little bit bothered by it, but you have to just think, oh, it's the movie, it's fine. Um, Also, I feel like, uh, like you mentioned earlier, I think, Jason, that the main characters of this film, you know, are... Of the crew, at least, are Mao and uh, River. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like there's certain characters that get overlooked more than they do in the show. So, like, Wash, for me, in the show, is the more comedic one that provides a lot more of the comedy and the, the funny lines. Whereas in the movie, I feel like he's overlooked a little bit and Mao gets all the funny lines and even Jane gets more of the funny lines. And, mm-hmm. um, and Wash is kind of not very present he's there but for me he's not like a really strong character and then in the end when you lose him you're kind of like oh okay and i don't know whether that was so that people just watching the movie don't get too attached to him or he has this big uh, moment like when he when he gets the ship when he flies the ship through that huge field of battle like that's his big oh he gets his pilot moment yeah some of the nuance that Wash had in the show was gone, and he's more just—he's he's just skilled pilot yeah. now. With a, with a couple, but he he does he does he does highlight scene, a couple scenes uh, effectively. Um, but yeah, the uh, he he's he's a pale imitation of what he was in the show. Yeah. Is it's quite funny seeing my re- like the first time I saw that film when he got washed, I was like, oh no, <laughs> the pilots. The, the leaf didn't soar. What a shame. Next scene. But I like, watching it now, all things in the film, I was like, man, that, like, that's, I'm still not okay with that. Like, now that I know who he is, just no. 
Well, the other thing too is that I mean, it, it's at, at the point of the movie uh, where it happens, it's 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 raising the stakes and right before right before the all is lost moment. Um, so so you need so you need the whiff of death. You need to someone has to die. I mean, of course, Book already died. Uh, but that was that, that. But that was more of a catalyst moment to 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 propel propel the story forward. Whereas Wash dying is more to show the stakes of, you know, this might be a one way trip. You have to be, and as 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 Malcolm and the, the opera discuss at the end, is are you willing to die for your beliefs? And these characters are reminded of of the consequence, the potential consequence of their decision in in, in Wash's death. Exactly. And I think, uh, Laura, you mentioned a little bit earlier, like, uh, that we all wanted to see Mal be the hero. And that reminds me of, of that line that Zoe says in the bank robbery to the guy who's trying to be the hero. She, she tells him, uh, what does she tell him again? Um, a hero is that definition of a hero is is a person who gets exactly other people who gets killed. other people killed and like oh it, yeah the funny thing about that is that the, when the Serenity crew themselves decide to become the heroes and to bring like when he doesn't leave River in that uh, pub it's like mm-hmm. that's. In, it's true like in the end they do end up getting people killed everybody who sheltered them or was friendly dies the yep. innocent kid and then like zoe's words become prophetic when her own husband wash dies and that's that's the price of uh being a hero i hadn't even thought of that but that is a great fucking note like i hadn't, I hadn't yeah. put those two lines together but now when you do it's like oh my god that's exactly what freaking happens but it's such an. It, but that, that's why I think why the movie's so effective and why the script is so effective because every uh, there. I mean, without going through through with a fine tooth comb, I would say it's safe to say everything connects. All the all every setup has a payoff. And there's actually I, I want to say there's something that's really interesting about this movie is because protagonist and main character tend to tend to be used interchangeably, but in this movie there's a very specific difference. River is the protagonist. Her story guides the plot. But Malcolm is the main character because he has the most to learn, to change, to become a full and complete person. Because River's arc is finished, essentially, when when they find the recording and, and she's able to reconcile this memory that's not hers. And then she gets her, her climactic moment where she can use these skills that she was given. Whereas Mal's journey isn't just getting the message delivered is the internal journey of realizing that he needs to he needs to believe in something to be whole yeah but i would also say that that river's journey is also about so well in the context of the show firefly so much of that is her being helpless her not having any agency or being able to act in her own interests and then in in the very end when simon gets shot she says it's my turn and that's when she takes the agency that's that's her kind of i've grown up moment and i'm going to become an adult and take on the responsibilities of a 9 to 5 job and i'm going to go into that vault and type on a computer for 8 hours a day that's that's her going out into the the world and like really taking it like i think that's the culmination of that arc for her and then not to mm. go too f- far in the future but but if there is a serenity like two, three, four, I imagine the direction that her character takes is more of a in control of herself and 
and a protective kind of character who protects other people and doesn't have to be so much protected herself very much so yeah it, it feels like this is when the two kind of because we said like when when he opened the door who are we going to get the, the girl or the weapon that was the point where the two became the one that they became the woman holding the weapon rather than the woman or the weapon it's, she's kind of grown and become a whole person now as opposed to before when she was very like throughout the whole series she's been very fractured whereas now she really seems to have become one person and kind of reconciled those halves and become a whole which is very important did you guys uh, get that that line um where the operative when he when he's like uh river is the albatross on your ship i i'm not familiar with the with the i mean i i understood what he you know the reference some referencing because of malcolm's malcolm's retort but i don't uh, i don't know the the proper reference oh well it's just it's it's from this romantic poem called the rhyme of the ancient mariner which makes total sense like in the in this show because it's it's seafaring spacefaring it's a ship it's a crew it it's it's like for sailors the albatross was a thing that was a sign of good luck and also a bad omen and it's a bird essentially and in this in the poem the bird like when this ship is it, it like surrounded by glaciers and can't move and everybody's freezing this bird flies in that's the albatross and all of the glaciers melt and the ship is able to go through and unobstructed and it's this beautiful harmless f- free bird that's beautiful and then just inexplicably in the middle of the poem the the mariner sh- shoots the bird with his crossbow and kills it he kills the albatross and in that moment it's transformed from a blessing into a curse it's it's like um it's an innocent very powerful thing that didn't deserve what was done to it it was inexplicable and that's that's exactly what river is and like that's the beautiful thing about it. It's the innocent Christ archetype mm. and like alliance, the alliance would be the Judas and the operative feels to me like at the very end, he feels like the ancient mariner. Like even you were mentioning Laura, like you were talking about the gravitas of his presence and how he kind of keeps you. He paralyzes you with his being there. That's exactly what the ancient mariner is. When he tells a story, you can't move from his gaze that's that's a fascinating thing about it um earlier you were asking what save the cat moments uh shrug and uh so basically that that's the moment where we get a demonstration that you know how how good or bad is your character does he save a cat as it were i mean if, if, if you've ever seen uh, armed and dangerous with john candy and, and eugene levy john candy literally saves a cat from a tree but then gets but then gets stuck in the tree <laughs> because he's afraid of heights. Uh, um, but yeah, in this case, you know, the Reavers attack and Mal's like, you know, get everyone into the vault because he's, he's not there to kill people. He's only he's there to take the money. He's not interested in people dying. But then we have a second one where, you know, the guy who wanted to be a hero runs out. And, and, and this this one's a bit uh, this is a bit 50 50 because the Reavers attack him. So Mal shoots him. But the Reavers wouldn't have attacked him if he let him climb on the climb on the mule. But Mal is still me and my own. Yeah, I think it's just instinctual for Mal now. He's just like protect his crew and get out of dangerous situations. Um, and I, I was almost a little bit shocked about how much Zoe judges him in this. Because I feel like she would have done 
a similar thing if like someone was impeding their chance of survival well they're not part of their crew get rid of them and move on um but i think in this film they're trying to really establish this whole like just how bad the reavers are and you know i can't believe we left that guy and he's just like well you know i gave him a mercy kill um and that was as much as he could do for him so i do think yeah, it's interesting, yeah, like I say, to see how much Zoe um, is kind of, like, judging him. Well, you know, it, 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 it's – I'd actually go – I wouldn't say so much judging as, as expressing a, a competing opinion because she does acknowledge that killing the guy was a mercy and, and he's like, yeah, but I have to – I have to make sure you guys are paid and fed. And then, but it, but it further hints at Mal's trauma. I think that's the ultimate purpose of the scene because she's like, in war, we never would have left a man behind. And then that's why he says that's maybe, maybe that's why we lost. Then, of course, later, of course, later when he has the opportunity to leave River behind, he doesn't because he can't. That's even, even through all, all, all of his, his past trauma, he still can't leave. He can't leave a member of his team behind. A random stranger, maybe, obviously, given what we what we just saw, but... Yeah, I think she's also looking at herself. Like, this is a moment of self-reflection, because after he, like, describes why he did what he did, she's like, I can't disagree with you, sir. You know, there's nothing that... You know, everything that he did, he did for a reason. Um, but she's kind of, I think, just upset with the entire situation, which is almost kind of like a reflection of, um, like, them looking at themselves as a whole. Like and telling us that they don't enjoy what they do you know it's telling us that this crew does what they do to survive and unfortunately you know that means they can't help everyone that's not their job that's that's i think that's you know that's not their responsibility no that's a perfect description it's their job it's something they don't want to do and that's encapsulated perfectly when zoe's like oh uh we can retire and give up this life of crime like (laughs) retirement is clearly on her mind she doesn't want to live this way and i think in that moment she's remembering what it was like to be a soldier who fights for something that's not about me like, if you're a soldier, you're willing to sacrifice your life for a greater cause. And what Mal did by pushing that guy off was self-survival. It was about me surviving. It wasn't about, you know, fighting for something greater than me. And I, that's the fundamental, I think, um, spectrum that we're, we're going, like, from from one end to the other of which is am i doing this with purpose or without purpose and just surviving for the sake of surviving is without purpose Mm. so i love in this scene that we have uh you mentioned mal's instinctual thing is to tell everyone to get into the vault to save themselves um but before that when he's just having the funny conversation with the guard like you know i've got to hit you hard enough so that they know you put up a fight um you don't want them to think you went down too easy (laughs) (laughs) it's just brilliant because a lot doesn't do damage great line yeah i think we see um again this is part of the great introduction we get within the first however many minutes of this film to this crew and and as someone who's not seen the uh tv show you you already have like a good grounding in in who these characters are and what this crew is like um but it's also very very heavy on river you know we're getting to see like you say she's one of our central characters for this movie for this storyline to work yeah it's nice to get to see her um i love her line after they get back to the ship and she's just like 
I swallowed a bug. <laughs> <laughs> but come back to in that that whole sequence too. They they have the a bit foreshadowing. River looks at the Reaver and says, "He didn't lie down. They never lie down." And it's it, it's uh, uh, Shrog mentioned that way back way back at the at the at the opening, where we keep having these flashes of. In River's mind, all these, you know, the when the teacher makes the kids lie down later and then she's having flashes of just people lying down on the ground as the contrast to, you know, everyone lied down except the Reavers. So it's just a little, just a little hinting at uh, hinting at, uh, at that things to come. Yeah. Can we can we talk about that? The the lying down versus the going crazy and like murdering people like that's that's a very fine line that. And again, like, I, I, I don't know how many, I, I swear I, I haven't read Brave New World since like high school, but the idea of it is very much in my head because it feels like that's the world we're living in where the most powerful instrument of tyranny is pleasure and distraction. Like, if I can keep you in a state, in, in a trance of comfort and sedation, and like anytime you feel angry or sad or anxiety or anything, you just pop a soma and like you just chill the fuck out. There's no will to challenge my power and authority. And that's where the alliance is kind of inhabiting the Huxleyan dystopia of using this PAX or whatever that thing is to sedate an entire population, domesticate them to the degree of they, they are no threat to our power. They are just comf- they're in a, in a state of suffocating comfort to the extent that they just lay down and die and then on the opposite end of the spectrum you have people just like outraged and unhinged and crazy and they're like that that's the facebook algorithm like like half of the user base is tranquilized with cooking recipe videos and cat pics and memes and the other half is transformed into an outraged fringe raving group shouting (laughs) arguing flying around hashtags articles it's insane that's this is the world we're living in right now we're in huxley's world yeah you can kind of look at the alliance as like this, like the America-China merger is a big blockbuster corporate merger. It's like a big tech monopoly that successfully crushed the mom and pop brown coats. It's like, and Mal is the guy who refuses to upgrade his OS. He's like a Linux guy. Yeah, and then that, yeah, after that they have the scene what you were talking about where Jane and Jane and. Uh... Kaylee are discussing the Reavers, and while, while Jane's cleaning up the wreckage and the body, Kaylee's messing around with a piece of equipment she found. But yeah, they so they do that, and it just, it, it it it's just that conversation. Like, why are Reavers the way they are? But then we talk about you know how the captain will push everyone away, the way he pushed Book away, the way he pushed Anara away, which then cuts to Mal looking at that little video feed of Anara. But that's like loads. The desk is like covered in like her things, right? And then later on, when she comes back, he's like, "Oh, you or on the video call? Oh, you left some things. Not that I've gone through them. There's no, I don't know." Uh, <laughs> and it's like, dude, you had her stuff like all over. You've gone through everything, mate. <laughs> he's like, like stalking he's her Instagram. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's just turned that whole shuffle into like his own personal Inara shrine. Like he's sitting Inara on a chair shrine. that's covered in one of her dresses, watching a video that she clearly <laughs> shot. That's like. That's not his video. That's clearly something she left there, but he just refuses to get rid of it because he's got a picture of her on it. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's it, it's 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 uh, it's quite good, and it, it, it shows that once again because every 
we keep coming back to this thing of, uh, of you know, the, uh, Mal's regrets without saying it. You know, we let Anara go. Uh, and then when they get to the bar, Mingo and Fanti are like, you're going to give us 40%, not 25 because you're unpredictable. You know, you, you run when you fight. You fight when you should run. And uh, you're making people nervous, man. I I would say the one part I dislike about that line is I'm pretty sure in the entire time we've known him, we've never seen Mal run from a fight that he should have stayed and won. <laughs> yeah. I, I, would, I would agree yeah. with that. That's thing that they, it kind of feels that they're trying to make him into more of a kind of Han Solo archetype, which to be fair, he skirts that line on many occasions, but he always felt like he had a slightly more concrete moral compass than... Uh, Han ever had and it sort of, sort of was in this they're, they're trying to make him a little bit more wavery and they're sort of setting up Zoe as the moral compass of the ship that's that's why mm. she has which kind of she doesn't rip on him but she has words to say about leaving the guy burned during the bank job because they're trying to set her up as like the one that keeps him on the straight and narrow which I, I was and that, that doesn't quite sit with me and it, I don't know Zoe kind of represents his soldier past the nobility of being a soldier, I think, that is still has died in Mal as represented in Zoe. Like what she's around, it, that brotherhood, that you know, fighting for something important is is in her, in some ways. She's the reminder of who he could and should be, while he's right. kind of slipped more into the into the Jane. underbelly. Yeah, yeah, he's been spending too much time with Jane. Definitely, Jane is the other aspect. You guys, excuse me, may have discussed this in the show that each character may actually like. If you look at the, if you look at the show and you look at what we know about Mal now, each character could yeah. represent a part of his personality, or what he what he could be, what he could become. You know, mm. is he going to be a Jane or is he going to be a Zoe? So, what do y'all think of the whole sequence when she gets triggered? I, I like the choice that it's that the first part of when she gets triggered, the first fighting, there's there's no like no volume. You hear yeah. like yeah. muffled thuds yeah. and thunks before before the color shifts back to to essentially everyone else's perspective. Yeah, because like Chirag was saying, that's like the color change and that sound then is like almost like we're in her world. Mm-hmm. And that's like what she's experiencing. She's just gone into this trance, right? Not really entirely sure of what she's doing. But she's just been switched into this, you know, assassin mode or whatever. In, in this mode, triggering her, it's like ready, fire, aim. Yeah. Every, everyone is a target. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, in, if she was actually, you know, in a... If she was actually deployed, you know, it would be much more precision than that. But yeah, they just need to make a, a kerfuffle to find her. I do like when, when, when Jane tries to tries to stop her. And, and it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a small thing. But in order to disarm him, she essentially, you know, grabs him by the crotch. He holds on to her for a long time yeah. <laughs> before he is overcome with pain, which is and I, I want to say because it's always in movies and TV, you go for the you go for the ball shot and then the person's down. And it might be a testament to, to Jane, either Jane's strength or him wanted to, per, despite his protestations in the past, protect this particular character. Mm. Yeah, not even just that, but the fact that she he uh, he doesn't go to hit her. He could have easily just thrown her like a massive like right hook and taken her down, right? But he grabbed her as gently as he could, really, from behind to to kind of calm her and get her out of the situation instead of just like going for her. Which is funny because I thought to myself, this, I watched this again before the TV show, 
And Jane was always one of my favourite characters. And after like watching and really like delving into the TV show, I was like, oh, you know, he's a bit of a dick, like quite a lot of the time, not even like half of the time. Um, and then in the movie, at least the first half of the movie, he's actually quite, he's comedic. He seems to do a lot of good stuff. And like this, he's not too like over the top terrible person but then the like second half of the movie he turns more to the i'm gonna turn them over i don't really care about them and it's kind of yeah so you do get a kind of um like a half and a half vibe of jane in the film uh kind of different to the to the tv show you don't get like that whole journey of him like starting off to be like a dick and then being like oh actually you know i should care about these people um it's kind of almost the opposite but yeah anyway i still like him you know, uh, you know, in the end, like when when they're in that when they're on Miranda and River's kind of going crazy, and then Jane's like she's damaging my calm, but she's right. Yep, that's the moment where mm-hmm. I think the ending of his arc is because he's so scared of Reavers. I think because he's the one who's closest to being like a Reaver because he's so motivated mm-hmm. by just mm-hmm. nothing but money. And I think, like, in that moment, he, he, he kind of picks up this, this purpose, like, these people should not have just laid down and died like this, and he's gonna, he, he has a reason to be there. Like, I'm, I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna mm-hmm. do something yeah. about this. I actually have to expand on that a little bit in that same same sequence. When they, when they see the, the video for the first time, and you know, she tries to shoot, you know, the, the scientist tries to shoot herself, but the Reavers come in and attack her and then do all the things that Reavers do. Everyone, everyone is upset. Jane's the one who says, shut it off. And that, that's very important. That's very important because Jane is by far the character who is best equipped to handle violence and gore and, and Reaver all things. the things that Reavers yeah. do. And he's the one that says, shut it off. He's, he's, He's very impacted by it. And I think that that was a very good choice, uh, having that character be the mm. one. Hints at dark things, kind of dark tidings in his past that maybe led him down the path to become the Jane we all sort of know and sort of like, but at the same time kind of don't because he's Jane. <laughs> I, I, I very much like, I, I know there was a, a book prelogue book funnily enough a shepherd a shepherd book prequel comic that explained a lot about his past as being an operative i would quite like to have seen a jane flashback book that tells us it kind of explains to us just how he ended up being quite so jane before, <laughs> before, before we move on quickly is that Go. actually true so shepherd book was an operative i think so yeah it's been years since i read the his tale but i believe yeah it was something like that i, mean, I think it, it may be a retcon but it kind of it fits so well that it does kind of work. i think it's called a shepherd's tale and I, I believe it's about this, his past yeah from this film yeah the, the way he's talking to mal about um the guy that's going after them and he knows he knows exactly like what this yeah. guy is he's like this guy doesn't have you know a conscience or whatever he's on the job and that's what he's gonna do like he's exactly. gonna come and kill you and and that's it um yeah, so you know that, like, from the TV show, we know he's had some kind of link from the Alliance, but from what you hear him talk about here, you're like, oh, man, he's talking about this operative dude so well. Yeah, like, he knows exactly he what's did. going through that guy's head. Yeah, yeah. Just- and you're like, ooh. I actually, I, I, I love that. That scene is probably my favorite in the movie. One, because of how it's shot and lit. 
Um, but there's a very there's a very good moment when when he's talking to Book, and uh, Book says such and such about belief, and the, the two of them are standing very close together. But then when it when it comes to the topic of belief. Mal steps away. He opens the distance between the two of them. Like it's phys- like physically expressing his discomfort. And the shepherd's like, I'm not talking about faith. Whatnot. And then he get and then he's then he talks about how you know the, the you're not gonna hear any boots, they're gonna cut you sideways. And while they're doing that, Mal Mal comes back in. It it's 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 just such a beautiful visual demonstration of, of comfort and discomfort. Mm. Which I find it links quite well into something I wanted to, just before we kind of completely move on, jumping back briefly to uh, River going full Slayer on that room full of people. I absolutely loved the choreography in that scene. I'm kind of a, I'm a bit, a bit, a bit of a fight nerd and I genuinely love everything about that scene because if you just like ignore all the red coats around and just, if you just focus on River, it almost looks like mm-hmm. she's dancing. It doesn't look... Like she's yeah. genuinely trying to hurt these people. She's just going through the motions. When you combine that with, as you mentioned, the completely shut down sound, it's all muted. It's, without Again, without any words said, without any long descriptions, you can just tell inside her head, there is just, there's quiet, there's the sound of leaves and tumbleweed. There is nothing going on there. She is just going through the motions. That is all muscle memory she's just dancing she's doing her piece mm. lots like it's in a point where like, she falls back and like, a guy grabs her she kicks a guy and then rolls over him like it looks like a ballet yes. move it doesn't look like a fight and it's just like it's very elegant it's very elegant because there's a distance between her and what she's doing and like it's it's beautiful to watch but if you really think about it it's terrifying like imagine an army of these super soldier operatives that could do all these terrible things and not care about them in the slightest like when you compare that to mal and to zoe and to jane who have done these things and are still kind of freaked out about them and then you see river who's capable of doing just as bad things or probably considerably worse and would have no regrets he probably wouldn't even have a memory of it to her it would just be another dance and somewhere in the far in a, in a far corner of the verse there's a room full of corpses with tiny boot prints on their faces and <laughs> she's just this chaos she's left in her wake and she's just danced through it all and like that is just terrifying i don't even, like it scares me just thinking about it and then in the midst of it all there's just this you know this beautiful dance and an advert with a cat mm-hmm. and it's like what Oh, I was just going to say, I like the convenient setup of this fight scene because the the specific place they've gone into, you have to hand your weapons in because Mm. obviously this fight would be much different if everybody had their weapons on them. So, (laughs) like, the very convenient setup and, like, you Mm -hmm. get the, like, Mal scrapping for his gun at the end. And, um, yeah, it's just nicely set up so we get, like, a really awesome fight scene uh, without the uh, use of guns, yeah. I think... think Tag the that like you said you said something that really resonates with me. I think that the fear that you're describing about like an army of rivers who are just like with indifference are dancing through this destruction and and just you know like without caring or even being aware or conscious of what she's doing if she just stabs you in the neck and now you're bleeding out. It's the, like the terror of that is the same terror of like a reaver 
it's this indifference like they kill you but they don't know that they're doing it they they, they're being controlled by something it's like a virus or Mm -hmm. or like uh artificial intelligence or anything that's unconscious that's from the deep that we're scared of that is that we can't reason with or talk to or be rational about you know like god like the book of job like any of these things that just happen to us and we have no control over them that's the fear the the like the nihilism underwriting all of the all of this stuff so you're not dealing with an enemy you're dealing with a force of nature the reavers like you can't reason with them you can't bargain with them you can't quip your way out of it you have to either kill them run away or die and those are your options and like you, you, anyone in their right minds would be scared of that. That's terrifying. The um, it, it's interesting. I want to say that the um, this is this is actually only the middle of the first act. The fir- they, 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 like like this movie this movie lingers in the first act for almost an hour. Uh, the second the, the second act is very quick, uh, but the, there's so much you there's so much world to set up, and it, it, it's kind of once again we talk about you know this this story kind of being a bit of a masterclass. And this is a case where your first act doesn't have to be only twenty five or thirty pages. It can be forty five or fifty if you can tell the story effectively, because the beats and acts only need to be as long as they need to be to tell a compelling story that the audience audience can get behind. Uh, so of course you know they, 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 then they leave the bar and then we're into the whole you know the whole debate phase. Like so, we're not even into this. This is where the characters are like, well, what 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 are what are we into and how do we deal with this? You know, it's so the mal the 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 operative looks at the file and sees Mal's file and learns that he was a volunteer and he won you know won, won the Medal of Valor and you know. He, he learns about his, his new enemy, as it were. Right. And then we enter the congressional phase of, you know, bickering and politics. <laughs> the mm-hmm. House of Parliament. <laughs> yeah. I do. I, I, I do love David Crummeltz as mm. Mr. Universe. I love him. I thought that was a, that, that, that was a wonderful, wonderful, yeah. wonderful addition. And then, yeah, like you said, he, he, he looks at the signal. He's like, oh, this is, this is high military. I've been seeing this, this for weeks. So it gives it, which gives us a timeline, right, of how long this particular operative has been. Like we know that we know from Mal's dialogue that River and Simon have been on the ship on the ship, uh, Serenity, excuse me, for eight months, and you know this this uh, operative has been looking for for her for several weeks. So there's it, it gives us a bit of overlap, mm. which I which I like. Yeah. I also like that it introduces yet another character who you would seemingly think is really only out for themselves. He's a tech geek interested in spying on the world from his own little home. He, it seems to have no dealings with any other humans, like, I, really. I, I figure this guy, this guy's right up your alley, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but ultimately, he also, you know, finds that belief in something and helps, um, helps the cause um, for the movie. With his uh, love bot. With his love. Uh, well, he well he he doesn't he doesn't because um when when the when the crew is like hey you know we need you to do this thing he says yeah come on down but then they go to a wide shot and all the bad guys are there uh, yeah. yeah and uh, but then he's like uh, I'll take I my thirty like, silver he, he's like, <laughs> yeah hand me hand me my thirty pieces I'm like I like that that's very nice great line but before being betrayed shocker. Because curse your sudden and inevitable betrayal. <laughs> but once, once he's been stabbed, he's like, uh, I better do something good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so like, sad. He dies in the lap of his love bot. 
Which I think, uh, what, what, what do you think, Shrug? I think you meant to say the, uh, I think I feel like imitation of a relationship, imitation of a person, unwilling to get close to real people. Yeah. Maybe furthering Textbook. the theme of it. Yeah, I guess the, the theme of like what is, um, you know, that's an interesting thing to chew on. Um. <laughs> like, like I, like I feel it's just one more piece in the, this this overall motif of not not of being afraid to get close to people, which is kind of Mal's whole thing, right? Mm. Right. Maybe that's the aspect of Mal that Mister Universe embodies: the fear of personal yeah. closeness. Yeah. Everyone you know is a part of Mal. Yeah. The interesting mm. thing about that is because I'm also. I mean, I moonlight as a podcaster sometimes, but I'm a I'm a technology consultant for a company. Mm. I just graduated like a year ago. I, I so that's my job, and it's so easy to be a tech guy and to just kind of like because we're evolutionarily evolved to be with people, to be with a crew mm-hmm. of people or a community, and to rely on each other and collaborate with each other. But when you're this tech guy who has enough money and has the luxury to kind of sit in this bubble and not have to rely on anybody else to do anything, like you can just grub hub a Chipotle to your doorstep and you don't have to collaborate with other people. That's a very isolating experience that is like against everything we're evolved to be. And like we create these robots and our Tesla auto driving cars and all this Mm. stuff. And like we're creating a world where we no longer have to interact with each other. And that's, that's a future that's very disconcerting. (laughs) <laughs> that's basically yeah, how actually, I live. Right. So, yeah, I, 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 I understand and totally agree with that. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so we meet Mister Universe. We, we we see the we see the code. We get an understanding of the timeline and, and and one more player who's gonna who's gonna come back later. Um, when River wakes up in the storeroom, she has more visions of of Miranda. We don't know their visions of Miranda yet, um, but she says the memory is not mine. I shouldn't have to carry it. So we we finally get some indication that she's somewhat aware of 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 the. The bug in the the bug in her code, as it were, um, and then the then the operative we see him approach Anara, uh, and then Serenity arrives on Haven, and then that's where we have that conversation that I was talking about that that scene that I that I love so much. Yeah, so uh, yeah, Malin Malin book discusses belief, and we had that 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 wonderful scene, and then and then we have another dream. River has a dream again about being in the school, and the teacher tells everyone to lie down, and they turn into corpses. So it's it, it's just more hinting at hinting at what's to come, but it, it's done in in, in such a such an abstract way you don't realize you're being you're being told what's happening but you don't necessarily realize it which you know good good storytelling again right then then we have the call that wonderful car call between between Inara and uh, and Malcolm discuss <laughs> I love that they're having this like really fraught conversation and it keeps cutting back and forth to the rest of the crew who are watching on sort of the, you know, <laughs> listening in the hallway yes. and they're like throwing popcorn at the screen boom Al yeah. you suck they've like come in one by one to watch and yeah Kaylee's got snacks and it's literally just like I think it 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 sums up the kind of like whole relationship and everything they've been through in Firefly um, in one awkward conversation Mm-hmm. The um, oh, it, it's it's so wonderful. You know, she's on the phone. He like he just woken up, so his hair's all messed up, and he's all kind of groggy and 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 whatnot. Um, but I do love that when he finally comes up to the bridge, and 
you know, he's like, y'all were watching, right? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I said, you see his fight? Nope, it's a trap. <laughs> yeah, straight away he walks in and he looks at Zoe yeah. and is like, so what do you think? She's like, trap. He's like, yeah, trap. And then it's Kaylee's like, oh, you know, she just might want to see you because she likes you. And it's like, did you see us fight? Because that's our natural go-to thing. That's our comfort zone is us just throwing insults at each other. Mm. If we, we didn't fight, it, it is definitely a trap. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I love it. It's, 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 just a, it's just a wonderful, just a wonderful little scene between the characters. And, and once again, showing how well, you know, Zoe and Mal understand situations. And this this whole sequence with with him with, with him at the the training house, and uh, and you know the, the 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 kerfuffle with the with the with the uh, with the operative. The fight scene there is really good. I kudos to the stuntman who took that fall on that little tiny table. Mm. Oh, it was covered in like little pots and things. Yeah, and like, like, he, gets, like- he gets clotheslined and uh, like cause the table's only like a couple inches off the ground, right? But I mean, that had to be a hell of a hit. Yeah, it looks painful. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I will say this: uh, I, good, good job. Anara knew how to time uh, time exactly how long the incense should burn before it explodes. <laughs> yeah, the timing for me, I'm kind of like, wow, she knew exactly the point where it was like he's almost going to kill Mal now. You know, like he, she knew exactly how long that fight was going to last. Um, <laughs> I've got. I like how ins. Oh, this is a one more one more point on timing. This is this is a, like a couple scenes back, but when uh, River was fighting all those dudes in the bar, I love how Simon waits for the most climactic moment <laughs> yes. to come in and say the sleeping word. It's like he was just waiting yes. patiently in the corner for the like the the tension to build, and then right. At, he just comes in, right? Oh, that's my cue, and then. <laughs> All right, Simon, he was he was sitting off, your time. He, he was sitting off to one side, like, "Oh, she's gonna sleep well tonight. Look at her getting some exercise. Oh crap, she's got a gun. Sit down, down, down." I think it was Latin or whatever it was. No, I like how the fight starts. We have like, first of all, it's hilarious because um, Mal's dressed up. He comes in. He's like, you know, dear Buddha, please bring me a pony and a plastic rocket. And we get the kind of like comic relief straight off. You get her being angry because he's been stupid enough to go there and she cares about him and doesn't want him to get killed, right? And she knows that Mal will have no chance against this guy. Um, We see, you know, the Battle of Wit and they're having the conversation and straight away he pulls his gun and shoots the operative, um, which shows us how kind of ruthless Mal is, right? And how he acts throughout the whole of like the firefly tv show he's always yeah yeah, he's straight to it he's straight to the point if you diss him he doesn't want to hear your explanation about stuff he's just going to shoot you and move on because why listen to the villain talk about their plan right just Mm. kill them and go um and then we have the scrap and for me it shows us how messy mal is he's been a soldier he's not like a super trained fighter in any particular fighting style his go-to weapon is his pistol to keep his distance and just get out of situations and we have him being like a messy brawler like a bar fight kind of fighter against this operative who's like super clean super precise does all of this pressure point stuff so it's really first of all you're like oh man he's getting owned but like the fact that he lasts in the fight for as long as he does is like wow you got handed to him he's just one of these people that keeps getting up right when at the final time he gets up he's like gonna just pass out and he's just (laughs) managing to kind of stand and see straight um but he will he will keep getting up until he's literally like you know dead yeah 
So are you saying you're saying that Mal doesn't lie down? <laughs> uh, He's uh, not a lie see? downer. <laughs> see, he doesn't. He doesn't lie down. Uh, He's there's a actually a, a, about halfway through the fight. There's a scene where there's there's a point where the operator has one or both Mal's arms up above his head, like in a lock, and it, it's actually like. I mean, obviously, it's it's, a, it's it's not real. I mean, but I mean. It shows how strong Mal is because he's able to. I, I'm trying to do this as best I can from memory, but he essentially is able to grapple and and get leverage to get his arm free when he shouldn't be able to, and that's that's it's kind of a nice touch. What you're saying about brute strength versus precision, and I think well, more than strength, I think it's will. Right, he's he's yeah. had to fight his way through life, and he has the will to keep going. And mm-hmm. I think that's the difference between a lot of like people when they're like weak people and like strong people. You know, it doesn't necessarily matter how much physical strength you have if you have the will to live and the will to like you know carry on. So Mal has conviction; and he has like reasons to fight and live and continue. Like whereas the the operative has this like one goal that's been given to him. You know, his mission's been given to him. He's been told what to do. Even though he's got his own vision of this world without sin, blah, blah, blah. He, he, like, he's being told what to do. He's, as much as he wants to believe it, he's an assassin that's been sent to kill someone, right? Well, and- I think the interesting thing about the, the, the operative is that he believes in his own performance. Like, he's performing that politeness and that righteousness, but he's kind of in this... Uh, brainwash like th- he actually yeah. genuinely believes what he's doing is what he needs to do whereas Mal doesn't believe in anything and that's why I think Mal keeps getting his ass it's kicked. funny how it's funny how Mal has so much that he can believe in yet doesn't at this point yet the operative has something to believe in that he doesn't actually know like he has no of the information yet he mm. is fighting you know to the top of his ability He's fighting for a false belief. Yeah. Because he, he believes the Alliance can create a better world, so he's not going to ask questions. He's going to keep secrets, as long as it means that everyone else gets to live in a better world. Because even he says that, I'm not going to live here. This is for everyone else. Yeah, there's no place mm-hmm. to me there. Yeah. Which is, it's which, not which, even which, about which him. Really, it's not about yeah. him. Yeah. Because he, because he also believes he's serving the greater good, which is why I like the character so much. He's so compelling. Mm. Um, there's, there's one thing I don't know if you guys, if you guys know, it's once again, it's subtle, it's subtext. When, when Mal gets away, and he's like tracked the nav set. Of course, they've already launched their like little, little, yeah. little keg, their little rocket propelled kegs. Yeah. And uh, they're like, we found seven of them, and he sits down. And he has a moment. Uh, confusion might not be the, the the best word, but he's he's clearly assessing. He's <laughs> clearly realizing he's underestimated who this person is, which is something this character clearly doesn't do. Mm. Mm. Right. Also, he, he under, says he, he he doesn't underestimate his his opponent, but he has. He says to Mal that there's no point in Mal trying to make him angry because right. he won't get angry. But you do uh, see several times after that how frustrated he is by the fact that yes, Mal's got exactly. one over in him. You see it then, you see it uh, later on, I think, when they're trying to track him. And it's just like, and like, you know, when all the ships come through, he's like furious and he's angry and he's like worried for his life. Yeah, up until those points, he's like this precise person that seems to not have feelings. Um, so yeah, we do get those moments. But I like what you guys are saying that like, Mal loses this fight because he doesn't have anything to believe in and the operative does. Whereas at the end fight, Mal has something to believe in and he manages to mm. just about <laughs> just <laughs> about win the fight. <laughs> one one more thing on that though, because I think you nailed you nailed that, Laura, when you were talking about 
the the line where it's like you can't you can't make he's like the operative says you can't make me angry and like and is like spend an hour with him and i think <laughs> yeah the relationship between the mal and the operative very much is like the operative has this fake calm righteous nobility to him and mal is the opposite of that and mal is kind of like lifting the veil every time like a like a mm-hmm. child with his mother's skirt he's like lifting it every time and and like the operative in the like in the scene and we're going into the forward in the movie but when when the reaver ships are like coming towards him that's when he like loses that that sheen of nobility and calm and collective collectedness and then in the and, and then in the last fight when the operative uh, is like coming in on Mal trying to get that signal out, the operative shoots Mal in the back, right? Yes. And yeah. that, you shot me in the back. Exactly. He shoots him in the back. And that, in <laughs> contrast with like the Japanese fall on your sword nobility mm-hmm. thing, is the, is the amazing thing. It's like those are opposite things that clearly whatever nobility he was performing has completely mm-hmm. fallen away in the end when he shoots him mm. in the back. Everything about the operative is just this kind of amazingly constructed, beautiful lie. And everything about Mal is this dirty, filthy truth. In many ways, they are are kind of reflections of each other. Mm -hmm. And it's as they kind of drag each other down, they, they kind of start to meet in the middle almost. Like Mal starts to actually believe in stuff while eroding the belief of the operative to the point that eventually he just gives up all his, his high vaunted ideals that he's realized are all probably bullshit and you know what fuck it i'm just gonna bang shoot this guy in the back i just want him done everything about him is anathema to everything that i thought was true and real and i just i can't i can't take it anymore i have to be rid of him reflecting on that just a quick point um do you think like at the end when he he goes to see mal like he's paying his respects like dude you know you did a great job and i need to go reflect on myself do we think that the operative is going to go off into like a shepherd book kind of direction absolutely yeah. I had the, I had a similar similar feeling that yeah that's his his journey's changing. That's mm. the, that was something I wanted to talk about for sure because it feels at the end mm-hmm. like that's that's the spiritual journey, you know, like he he that mm-hmm. he feels like a young shepherd book in the sense mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. he believed that what he was doing he was serving something greater than himself and that belief was a false belief and now once once all of that illusion is mm-hmm. gone, what's left is nothing. There's nothing left to see come back to what what Tegan said about uh, about how Mal was eroding eroding the the opera's beliefs like you like you you literally nailed like you, you just did the best description of character arc I could ever think of because fundamentally because <laughs> fundamentally that that's that's what needs to happen in a good story is <laughs> your character your character your main character or in this case your main character and your antagonist both have a false belief about themselves or the world now with Mal we know why he believes that with the operative we don't because we don't need to (laughs) but he has a false belief and through through his constant conflict with Malcolm every time they every time they meet Mal shows shows the operative the real world to the point that at the end he can't deny it anymore and he has to accept that what I believed has been wrong all my life. 
So he, so fundamentally, <laughs> interestingly enough, your hero and your antagonist both have a positive character arc in this movie. <laughs> and, 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 and once again, that, that's what's so, so interesting and so, so compelling about it. Yeah, it's interesting because the the person you perceive is the the bad guy. I know you discussed this at the beginning. You've got the bad guy, and then you've got the Reavers, who are like the real bad guy. So here we see our bad guy guy. You know, take a positive turn. He doesn't get killed. He he can go mm. on and live his life at the end and become a better person. The Reavers are the ones that have actually been defeated, or you know, are now known about, and mm. maybe the Alliance mm. will like get off their ass and do something about them. Um, other than because it's mentioned in in in, I think it's when is it when we see Mister Universe on one of the tellies? It says, "Oh, the because there's loads and loads of TVs, aren't they, with like news and whatever's happening?" And they say, "Oh, the the Alliance deny the existence of Reavers. They literally deny yeah. that they exist, knowing mm, they exist. Yeah. So they're letting the Reavers plague the universe essentially mm-hmm. um, when they have the power to go and get rid of them. Right? They yeah. have the biggest army in the universe. They could go and get rid of them." The, the, the thing you're talking about actually happened in the bar. When they arrived, there was a news report that said that said uh, the only survivors in the town were the ones who locked themselves in the vault okay. while the Reavers attacked. And then, like, but the Alliance denies the existence of Reavers. And it, it's, it's, you, you'll miss it if you, if, if, unless you, you know, unless you're really paying attention. Yeah, you, you miss it. You don't even realize that line is there because it, 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 it's kind of background noise. Yeah. Bar. Okay. So, mm. so I I heard it. I just uh, forgot where it was. <laughs> but, but see, like the crazy thing about that is that the the reavers can't exist without the alliance, and the alliance can't really exist without the reavers. They are they are opposites in the sense that the reavers are don't believe in anything. The alliance believes in the wrong things. It's the false belief mm. of the operative versus no belief at all in yeah. nihilism. It's it's like the the mm-hmm. it's like atheism versus religion. Do you want to go be an mm-hmm. atheist or do you want to believe in this institution of of whatever this religious thing is? And the the kind of heads and tails of both of these things that exist in a paradoxical unity with each other, and you know navigating between those poles, which was done so well in Bushwhacked. I think that's what that episode was mm-hmm. about. Yeah, the uh, but yeah, so I like what you're saying, and that's it. this is this is one where like I gotta be honest, I I love trying to figure out theme, but theme is often the hardest thing for me to figure out. And uh, but this in this one, it, it, it's 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 so clear without being handled with the with with the subtlety of a sledgehammer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's we keep hinting at it, we keep dancing around it. And there are times, like in the next scene on the ship, where where Nara lays it out. She's like, "This operative is—he's a believer, and that's why he's so dangerous." Um, but yeah, I said, but it's also done in subtlety and subtext. You know what the Alliance believes, what the operative believes, what Mal doesn't believe, what what Zoe believes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know. And in this next scene with the discussion, we see like the further fracture of the crew and like how none of them really sure what to do. Um, and we also get the great, great comic relief that we get. Um, and no other, fi- I feel like no other film or TV show does what what this movie does. It's like you have all of this action, all of this stuff going on. Everyone's like not knowing what to do with their lives. And then... Um, 
Mal says to Jane, wait, well, you want to run this ship? And Jane's like, well, yeah. And he's like, well, you can't. <laughs> and it's just like lines oh, like that. Line. Yeah, to be able to like match all this action and drama that's happening, um, the story development, and then just throw lines like that in to kind of give us a little bit of relief. Um, mm. Yeah, this movie is fantastic. <laughs> I think the only film that really kind of, or really the only director who kind of captures that back and forth that's working these days is James Gunn. But even then, like I think Guardians of the Galaxy has a very similar feel. It's kind of... Guardians, Guardians, I've always said Guardians of the Galaxy is Farscape directed by Joss Whedon. Like, everything about that film is kind of inspired by something that came before, but just that doesn't quite match up to it. The Guardians of the Galaxy... The second one, especially, everything for me feels kind of like forced. Whereas mm. when I watch like Firefly in this movie, I feel like they're all just real people and it's mm. so natural. And all the funny lines feel like they've actually been said and would be said. Um, that's probably why it's one of my favourite movies mm. and, and TV shows because, yeah, it's just really natural. Mm. Um, I hate whenever there's like a forced joke yeah. or like you, we've, well, like we've all said um, many times, you know story being like shoved down your throat instead of just having things play out on screen and you get all the information you need really naturally um yeah like that the comedy yeah the way we get the story i think it's all just it's just like perfect <laughs> it all feels very organic i will say the, the movie picks up the pace uh from here on out though it's like the, the first act the first act was, was was slow isn't the right term it was full of information, so that and that's why it went on for so long. But Act Two is super short, the midpoint's short, and then we get right into you know get right into the rest of it. It, it it's um, it's like a perpetual motion machine <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, because yeah, they they have their they have their they have their, their the crew fractures, and then then Jane goes to goes to get River, but River's already she already knows what she has to do because she had that vision of Miranda in the in the little in the little the, the the little classroom screen where it goes in that pans around and you see her looking through the through the monitor. Uh, so she already need she already knows she needs to get out. But of course it's played up to look like she's the weapon. Cause we 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 don't know what her plan is until Malcolm gets on the bridge and you know they realize that oh Miranda's a planet. And then, and then we get some exposition about Miranda before they get back to Haven to, to figure out their next step. Yeah, I think they do really well, like you just said, playing it like she is the weapon and that she might be um, going against them or whatever. Because the first thing she does uh, after taking Jane out is hitting her own brother, which from what we've seen is only a very close, you know, affectionate relationship between them. So for her to harm him, you're like, what? <laughs> I uh one thing though it's that like the the when she says Miranda and this is just a little piece of subtext it's like I think it's in the Tempest um the character Miranda is the one who opens the play up by saying ah brave new world which is which is a very intentional reference to the planet of Miranda is essentially brave new world that's what hmm. that's what it's referencing <laughs> Uh, although I just maybe had a realization that in Star Trek 2 the Reliant is a Miranda class starship and in Star Trek 2 they blow up the Genesis device and create a brand new world 
because the tempest the tempest is a storm right and they all end up on the island um so at the end the very end of the film when they're like mm. taking off from the planet he's he says they're going to fly through the storm right the storm's getting worse um, we'll fly yeah. through the storm's it soon getting enough. worse but yeah. yeah so that's also kind of that's kind of a metaphor oh, for everything cool. really the whole thing yeah mm. Well, I mean, even though, like, um, he, he once again, so for about the third or fourth time, he refers to River. What the hell happened there? Once again, he refers to River as the Albatross, which, you know, as we mentioned before, is the, uh, you know, the, the good, like, charm that turned to a bad. But also, fun fact, a bird that never stops flying. It, it always keeps flying. It's one of the, I think, I believe it's the only bird Ooh. that Ooh. never, la- it even sleeps while flying. It, they, they, they have, like, eight foot wingspans and they like like they're born they learn to fly and i believe they never stop flying until they die they literally keep they're always flying just like serenity and and it's poetically fitting that in the end the albatross is the one who flies the ship she takes over washes pilot seat she's the one flying while we're kind of veering off road real quick, uh, I, I'll let you get back to the structural like pace of it. But I wanted to mention one thing real quick, which is the uh, the like we were talking about the style of Whedon and like the, the gun, the dialogue kind of thing. And I was thinking in this movie, the cool thing is that a lot of the amazing moments aren't even what you would stereotypically call like a Whedon moment. And one of those is in the on the scene in Haven when the whole place is burnt to the ground and Kaylee is like walking and she sees a dead child and she looks in horror. And then the next scene is so beautifully framed. It's river (laughs) and she's standing framed between a, like a burning swing set. And just like the poetry of that scene is essentially like, this is a, this, the Alliance killed this child. And then we see river kind of looking at her own, burnt burning childhood like her own childhood was also killed by the alliance metaphorically worth noting that's not just any child they see on the floor that's the same kid that runs up and hugs kaylee when they first arrive in haven haven during the happy times like when they when they land on haven and everything's being nice you see a kid run up and hug kaylee and i'm 90 percent sure that's the same kid she sees dead on the floor in that scene okay back to act two yeah yeah. So actually, it's okay. So we're um, when they get to Haven and find it, find it burned out. That this is this is kind of the midpoint. It's not really a uh, a lot of times in a movie, a midpoint is like a big, big thing, and it's either a victory or defeat. Uh, it's actually kind of subtle in this because it's just that whole sequence where where Book dies and he tells Mal, "I don't care what you believe, just just believe it because it is it is a defeat because they've lost their friends and they've lost their their safe haven oh that's why it's called haven <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i i mean I, I totally meant to do that <laughs> it, it's a very it's a very important scene even though it's not a huge set piece because mal is like you know yes you're one of my crew meaning you're one of my family and Mal get, and 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 Shepard gives him that let that that final piece of advice to push him in the right direction. Believe something, and then of course you know it immediately goes to you know they figured out that you know all their 
all their safe safe places are gone. And Mal's inside, you know, and you see all the all the dead people and burnt out places on the screens, and then the uh, then the operative shows up, and they have their have their little conversation where we find out exactly what the what the operative believes and what he's willing to do to make sure the world is a quote better place. But the how quickly Mal makes a decision is when he says, Mal, you're not a reaver. And there's a, a quick look and he shuts off the thing. He, he literally in that one second knows what he has to do because he's got, he, he's had all the information building up to because they already figured out where Miranda is. And he's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to Miranda but we have to get through Reaver space to get there. Of course, he doesn't realize the connection yet. And I said that these 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 few moments are 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 very very powerful, especially that like like you said, you know, all the all the imagery, all the imagery on Haven. I really don't understand how uh, Trudel Ejiofor didn't become like a much much bigger star than he is. Like he's a fantastic actor, such gravitas on screen. I don't understand how he didn't become an amazing lead. Well, I mean, I, I think I know why he didn't become such an amazing lead, but it's a it's a chronic shame. See, like he was so so good in this film. And, you know, he's like he's won one Oscars. He's been in ma- massive massive films, but he's never quite cracked the way I thought he would seeing this film. Yeah, main, mainstream is weird. Well, he's in. Um uh, is it Doctor Strange? Yeah, yep. he's Mordo. Yeah, we, and they just played out that he he will be a bigger part of an upcoming film or TV show. I'm sure. Yeah, because I mean, in in the MCU, Baron Mordo is like one of Strange's big big villains. So I'm assuming he's going to be around for quite a while to come. So what do y'all what do y'all think of what what Mal does next? Because in 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 the previous scene with Inara. Uh, after they rescue her and she's like I've seen too many versions of you to know who I'm dealing with and he says if you see me go to war you'll see something new and then he comes out after this interaction with the operative and he's like okay here's here's what's happening wreck the reactor tear piece off the ship string our friend's dead bodies up on it paint it red we're going to Miranda and everyone's and 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 everyone is pushing back and he's like i'm not letting the alliance choose my life for me then he then he shoots the the guy in the ship from like a hundred yards <laughs> uh great shot he goes into war that's one of my mode. favorite moments because I feel like the crew's on edge and he's asking him to do all this stuff and they're seeing this different side of him for the first time and then he pulls his gun and they're all standing in a line in front of where the guy is in the ship and it's like reaching this climax and he then he obviously walks through and shoots the guy and it's just um yeah great moment they foreshadowed that they foreshadowed the whole putting his hand on the gun thing okay uh, in in the earlier scene when uh they get back on the ship after re- after rescuing after picking up the unconscious river and he's and Simon's telling telling about what she is and Malcolm grabs him and throws him on the table. Zoe, there's a shot of Zoe putting her hand on her gun. Okay. And then we have this where the crews are, you crews pushing back against his plan. And he's like, he takes out the gun. And he's like, this is fucking serious. Excuse me. This is serious. 
I had, yeah, I hadn't even put those two scenes together, but it does make a lot of, when you, when I kind of, now that you bring it to my attention, it's like, oh, how did I not think of that? But you have to wonder, because this is probably the first, as, as he says to Anara, this is, this is, this is a version of Mal you've not seen before. But you have to wonder, do you think there's, I mean, Zoe must have seen this version before from back when they were soldiers. So do you think that, like, that's why she's slightly more accepting of it than the others? Because she's seen, she's seen kind of, soldier Matt Mal before so she knows like given everything they have to do this is probably the version of him that is needed to accomplish what happens next I think that's why she's a bit she's kind of because she's more used to that she knows kind of the mindset to be in for that or do you think I'm making things up here no I think it's half that and half that just because she's from you know she's a soldier from a war as well she knows that sometimes you have to do shit you don't want to do mm. and half of that's carrying your dead comrades bodies around and do you know what I mean uh, or like you can't always give um, in war like a respectful funeral or whatever it's not like they can stay on Haven right in this situation and give them all a proper burial anyway so it's kind of like I think she she's like always got her head of reason on and it's just like yeah okay the moral compass and I think there, yeah. there's a bit of a justification in there for um, Mal being a mean, nasty drill sergeant. Like, going back to the TV show in Out of Gas, when Zoe gets knocked out and Wash is wanting to be with her, Mal, like, grabs him by the collar and shoves him against the wall. And he's like, that's how he makes his orders um, authoritarian in that way, because when you're in moments of crisis, everybody needs to be, everybody needs to obey one singular authority. And that's kind of in that moment, I'll either, sh- if I don't hear a word, like if you're either helping me or taking your leave, I'll shoot you down. That's the ultimate, yeah. like drill sergeant authority moment. <laughs> I was going to say, he's the one that's like taking charge. Like they're all kind of falling apart a little bit, but he's like, this shit's got to get done. And if he has to be mean about it, then he has to be mean about it. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's so good. And yes, if you, everyone, these are the orders. Follow them or you're staying here because we're going to find out what the, what happened on Miranda. And maybe we can get, maybe we can get out from under this, this awfulness. And then like uh, the, what follows and, and we're probably going heading towards talking about this, but with my Joseph Campbell brain, I'm thinking, the reaver space that they have to take their abomination cloaked uh serenity ship through that that is uh that is a crossing of a threshold that's another crossing of a threshold the reavers are the threshold guardians and and they're they're penetrating that barrier into another world literally a brave new world full of huxleyan terror and you know revelation Anyways, anyways, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna get absolutely. into that. No, no, it's <laughs> the um, I do like that they they do a quick shot of the the operative. And he's like, "What do you mean disappeared?" Because <laughs> once again, because same thing. Like he he did everything he knows how to do. He he got rid of all their you know, all the safe place they can go. The usual result is that his opponent, you know gives in and gives themselves up. And again, his tactics don't work on on Malcolm. Yeah, I think it draws back to something we've mentioned like from a lot of the episodes is that like Malcolm he knows how to lose. 
and he's not scared. So he's not ever kind of like scared of being on the losing side because he gen- they generally will come out of the situations, even if like it's gone kind of well, they're like on the down. They didn't make the money they was meant to. One of them's been shot. Do you know what I mean? They're used to being the downtrodden one. And I think that's what these um, like alliance people don't get is because they've not been in that position. They're not used to seeing someone fight that hard because they've never had to do it. And it is shocking to them. So it's like great to see. Um, there's one thing I like is that the um, when, when Serenity is lifting off um, and there's a shot from outside looking into the cockpit and, you know, the bodies that they've chained up have been, you know, there's flames, right? As they're going through the atmosphere and, uh, you know, the bodies have charred up and whatnot. And I think that was an interesting choice because... Um, if any of you are familiar with space flight, essentially, is, you know, uh, a rocket or a shuttle reaches something called max Q, and that's when it essentially breaks the sound barrier, the, the maximum of pressure. And rockets and shuttles are designed to use materials that are fairly heat-resistant because of the amount of atmospheric friction. So I thought that was a, uh, once again, special effects production, and I thought that was kind of a nice, nice choice to... To like, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. The bodies would actually catch on fire so much, but but to to show that to it makes Serenity more real and more yeah. tangible. I'm just glad that they didn't fly out, and we see Shepard Burke tied to the front. That would have. That would have been a bit much. <laughs> this is what I thought Jason was going to say. I thought he was going to say, I like that they showed that the bodies were all charred so we couldn't tell who they were because if you saw that little boy again, oh. like, you know, you'd be really sad. That would like- be grim, yeah. <laughs> I loved the tension. I loved the, just the tension of that. And, like, they had the radio comms on and there were just screams and, oh, oh you could shut hear that it all, off. Yeah. But yeah, and then, and then and now we kind of caught up with what we what you were talking about before. But you know, they get there and everyone's dead, and Jane's like, "This is crazy, guys." Like of everything they've seen in the verse so far, the most spine chilling thing is to walk through a town or go to a planet where there's nothing. Mm. Like that. That's the 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 fact that that is the scariest thing they've seen, or the most. Because they they said they yeah go on. They said they flew yeah. in multiple cities, yeah, right? Yeah. The and whole planet the is covered in these giants, like ghost towns. It's like uh, the fact that there's they're going through this town and there's nothing seemingly wrong, just clues you into the fact that everything is wrong. The, 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 yeah, why would there be yeah, a prosperous planet like this, completely untouched? Um, there is. I do, I do want to pick up on the one kind of small plot hole in the movie where oh. I'm kind of like, eh? is that like after we discover that like they turn into Reavers and like she's being attacked and you know they've killed whoever are left on the planet, but we didn't see any sign of destruction or people that had been killed or Reaver. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There was nothing touched on the entire planet. That's the only thing in the movie where I'm like, ah. Oh, like, if they, because they've all, they've all yeah. just lied down to die, that would have taken a while. Yeah. yeah. If at the same time, ten percent of the population's gone wild, then they probably would have, the majority of those people would have actually been killed as opposed to just laid down and died. I, I suppose we could. We, I mean, I guess we could. We could assume that maybe different settlements had different different results. Like maybe maybe no one in this particular one turned. Oh, I guess they did turn into a reaver because they attacked her. There, forget I said anything. <laughs> oh, are we sure that that recording was taken in that city? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, because because uh, they they picked up the recording from the like 
Uh, my, okay, my assumption is yes, that the recording was oh, done yeah, they in have that the ship. Yeah, yeah, because the ship crashes. Yeah, that's the only bit of destru- destruction yeah. you see um, is that ships crashed into that wall there. Mm. Um yeah, just it's just a small thing. Like it doesn't it doesn't like damage my view of the movie. I just when when she was saying it and they come in to attack her, I was just kind of like, ah, oh, like did they just happen to turn into Reavers at the like just before they died, or yeah. do you know what I mean? Like yeah. in, in terms of it would have been a nice touch to have not- like the, the kind of the, this kind of idyllic looking city that we start, and then as you go on, as you learn more and more about what happened, it gets more and more messed up. Like you see, it's a perfectly calm city. Then the lights one, you see there's a bunch of dead bodies in the building, but then like, in the background have like a bit of blood smeared on the wall or a couple of smashed desks, and then go to the next building. And like, there's, you know, maybe a couple of Reaver corpses. Like, just gradually, as you learn more and more about what happened to the city, the city itself starts to turn more and more into kind of a savage hellscape. And then right up to the conclusion where there's just Reavers everywhere and it's all chaos. That would have been kind of some quite nice visual storytelling. Well, I like, I would imagine it as like, like the splitting of an atom, you know, it's like, did you guys ever see that that episode of Rick and Morty where they go to a spa and their toxic selves yes. are separated from their healthy selves? Yeah, great episode. No, I yeah, haven't. it's a wonderful episode. <laughs> but I, that idea of like this aspect of these people who live on this planet is just separated atomically, and on one end you have the Reavers, and on the other end you have these kind of comatose people. And and another thing is like the planet of Miranda. I don't know if you guys noticed, but it's very white and sanitary and sterile, mm. and it has that same like overexposed quality of Rivers' internal world, right? It has that same like white, overexposed, like dreamy, l- lucid kind of quality to it. That's very. Well, I was going to say because it because it is like a dream world, right? It's this. Uh, dream idyllic world that the alliance exactly. pictured, yeah. and um, it, it it's funny how we see the the very <laughs> clear juxtaposition of like what it turned out to be, but um, yeah, filled with dead bodies. I guess we're up to the scene now. We talked about earlier where they they find the recording, and then Sarah Paulson comes on and uh, and then and tells us tells us everything that's happened and we realize the alliance created the reavers and the, the, and this and this this is so to adjust my earlier statement uh chug this is the first part of of closing river's character arc because she she can she can reconcile this this memory right. this whole thing about miranda but she's not ready to she's not ready to be the hero yeah, she, she physically needs to be purges yet. that whatever that thing was in her yeah because she's like because i like that she says i'm all right then she's like like that realization, I'm all right, and the whole thing. Like I said, where Jane's the one who says turned off. I really, I just, I, I love that so much because he's, he's because he's so brutish. And then, oh my god, the scene back on the ship with the with the sunlight coming through the 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 the, the kitchen area windows, and Mal's talking about like, hey, we have to, we have to go do this. We have to get this message out. Someone has to speak for these people. Because the Alliance will come back the idea they can make people better. There's a shot of River. He looks directly at he her. he says that. Yep. And then and then Jane. And then this is a wonderful moment. Because it's a moment. It's a Jane moment, but it's a moment between Jane and Simon. Because Jane says, Shepherd Book used to tell me, if you can't do something smart, do something right. 
Then he pushes his drink over to Simon and only Simon. Oh, they're bonding. Yep. <laughs> and a nice callback to the previously forgotten Shepherd Book Jane relationship. Because I can just imagine, you know, yeah, Jane sort of showing Book how to work out and Book slowly trying to make Jane less Jane. So much that could have happened with that. <laughs> well, also that Simon story, right? Like he did something very not not smart, yeah. but was ultimately right. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's kind of why we're all here because he because someone chose to do something right instead of what was smart, and it's caused all this and it's just there it's amazing kind of bookends to the whole thing bookend <laughs> oh god oh. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna pretend that wasn't totally unintentional uh yeah then they reach out to mr universe and we, we find out the whole thing that he's 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 essentially betraying them i mean i, I feel like he he didn't yeah. really have much choice <laughs> like they're like the idea is like well we'll pay you if you if you do this thing but i mean that's thing, like you have to wonder, like Mr. Universe, he's, he's already quite established that he's a bit of a conspiracy guy. Like he's he's watched everything. He knows how screwed up everyone is. He must have known they were going to keep like he can't have got into that actually thinking they were going to pay him and then leave. He must have known that he was gonna die. But he was I think he was just kind of hoping to try and get through it and set up what happens later. And, you know, kind yeah. of in death, hopefully try and undo the mild, very mild betrayal that he inflicted upon the serenity in life. See, uh, yeah, no, that's an interesting one because, uh, I mean, obviously, we, you know, there's no, he's not a primary character and there's no time to kind of get into his, his internal motivations. But I kind of look at his performance, I wonder if he might be right. Because he's like, uh, give my 30 pieces, I got to get back to my such and such. And then, he, then they kill him, right? Of course, then they destroy all the equipment. And I, I do like that the crew is like, the Alliance is going to see us coming. Like, they're not going to see this coming. When they, then, they, then they draw out the Reavers. And I, and I love that whole idea of bringing, <laughs> we're bringing them home to roost. And this is so, I've only just thought, but this is so like, uh, Star Wars Episode Nine does this like exact same thing, doesn't it? On like the Exegol thing. Yeah. At the end, you have like all the ships, all the, all the rebel ships like come through. <laughs> Serenity did Way it better. better, yeah. Oi. <laughs> because that's uh, that that whole thing, and, I, and that's like, and I love that uh, when you know when they, um, when, uh, what am I trying to say? Sorry, when the Serenity flies through the cloud and the and the uh, the agents like super <laughs> yeah. smug. Because he could have shot straight away. Yeah. You know, they were ready to go, right? They could have shot. There's quite a long time, but he's so smug. He's like, huh? Came just, just you know. He's just here. That's his thing. He's performative. Every time he kills someone, it's it's a big yeah. act. The uh, there's one thing I, I really liked. Once again, this is a visual a visual is that when when Serenity makes it through the big battle, which is which is really really wonderful. Just the just all the stuff that's good, like this huge cacophony, this huge mess. Serenity makes it through, then they get hit with the EMP. And one, I like that the sh- that the new set was built on a gimbal, so all the shaking is real. And when Jane straps everyone into their in, into their their safety seats, but when Serenity loses power, it starts a flat spin, which is interesting because that's what happens to uh, I know jet fighters specifically. I assume all planes when they lose power, they can go into a flat like an aerodynamic spin, right? And so having so taking that real world thing and, and applying it to this this fake universe once again, it, it, it's really really nice. 
Yeah, I like how you mentioned the Jane thing because that's an, another moment where you're like, oh, Jane, he's all right. Like he yeah. checks every... I know it's one of his like duties, I guess, in emergency protocol. That's his job to do it. But, um, you know, he checks everybody else is, is like in first and then mm. gets thrown around for ages. Mm. And then you hear Kaylee's like, Jane, Jane, like strap yourself in. It's like, oh, they all really love each other. Yeah. Like really. <laughs> Through like- all the conflict and everything you see between them. In many ways, they are a family. They fight and they bicker, but when it comes down to it, they do all pull together. And that's, you can really feel, it's it's, it's these tiny little moments that really make you feel that bond. It's like, yeah, it's Jane's job to check the bindings, but I mean, he he doesn't really have to. He he could always just strap himself in and like, yeah, you guys are all right? Great. I've checked you. Make sure to tell Mal I checked you while I'm strapped in his safe. But he didn't. He made sure to actually go around and like check all the locks. He made sure they were all safe before strapping himself in and, you know, got hurt because of it. Yeah, and I think I think I think it, it is like that that sunlight coming from on high, very religious scene. That's the that's the scene where they all come together as a family, and that's a very in- intentional thing that, mm. to show that they're a family now, only to rip it away from us. Yeah, because <laughs> we see we, we once again we see how good of a pilot Wash is. He's able to he's he's able to fly a brick in into into the landing facility with like 20% power. Hey, can we talk about like I'm uh, this is something that hit me when I was watching it and I never thought of it before, but Wash is saying I'm a leaf on the wind and uh when a leaf falls off of a tree, why does that happen? Yep. Because I'm, I'm it's quite, dead. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand how like that that line has become this like emblematic symbol it's been printed on thousands of t-shirts and mugs and it's been tattooed more than once and people don't a lot of people don't seem to realize the epic epic foreshadowing there it's like it's it seems like such a nice kind of zen go with the flow line like nope he's essentially saying he's already dead and just doesn't realize it yet it's so brutal yeah I've seen the movie like 400 <laughs> times and I've never noticed that before. I'm just going to cry more now. It's fine. <laughs> I got seriously emotional during the, all of this. I was like, I feel like, um, again, because I've never watched the series and then watched the movie immediately after, because like, this has always been one of my go-to movies and I've just watched it alone a lot of the time. Um, I feel like I got more emotional at like these key points because I've just watched the series and kind of like built up this bond again Mm. with them and then you see this happen Um, so yeah and now I'm yeah now I'm sad again (laughs) (laughs) the um, and this this whole this whole climax the multi like the the two part storytelling to see the see them contrast against each other because a lot of the shots are, are really well done like when they're like, uh, do you think the captain made it? And she's like, yeah, he definitely made it. And the next shot is him getting yes. slammed against that glass Stop floor. It. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's it it it's it's so good. They make the decision to 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 split up. So Mal can go get the message out, and the rest of them can stop the Reavers from getting in, knowing this is possibly a one way thing, except maybe for <laughs> <Yeah>. Jane. <laughs> oh, I might. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got, I've got to say, I don't, I don't quite know why. But in my head, this has always made sense. When they're doing their kind of their big, you know, 
get in the trenches, get everything ready, arm up. Everyone's getting their rifles and your know, shotguns and pistols and everything. I don't, a part of my head always thinks that Anara is just going to reach down and pull up like a long bow, like a act. She's got kind of a torsion bow thing, like from <laughs> I mean, like she's going to pull up an actual wooden, like one of those, like um, yeah, you know, the, the, the offsets Zen Archer bows, like where it's the really small, but then like they're as tall as the person is. Like the the bow is as long as the person is tall. Like one of those massive old school bows, and just start shooting at arrows. Some part of my head just thinks that that would fit so well, and I'm always a little bit disappointed it doesn't happen. I don't really know why. Here's the big question: She didn't bring anything with her from the training camp or from the training facility. So 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 did she just leave it on Serenity when she it was left? just there? It's one of those things that she left behind that mm. now was like kept just looking at like oh yeah. Renara's bow I miss her <laughs> absolutely couple good moments where you know Kaylee and Simon finally come to an understanding time um, so yeah we have that you know and um, you know obviously Zoe's already made her decision that you know she she's like she's already decided she's not getting out of this you, you, you kind of get that You're talking from, about from Zoe? setup and, and whatnot. Yeah, she, I think she goes yeah. into soldier mode, who- kind of like Mal did, but in yeah. a different way. So Soldier mode, but with, yeah, the vengeance of, I'm going to kill you as much as I can, but if you kill me, I don't care because my husband's dead. Yeah. And that's like, I feel like they had to do this to her because if she was on full fight mode, they'd put up, obviously cohesively much better fight yeah. the, the only reason they kind of struggle and have to pull back is because she moves in too far then they pull her out Jane gets shot because of all of that and then everybody else gets shot and it's kind of like Domino it's effect. necessary but also she would totally be going through this like when 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 Kaylee's like you know where's Wash oh. and Zoe's just he ain't coming and she says it with such do you know what I mean she's like she's one step from being a broken mess and mm-hmm. she's just like holding it together to be in this fight but at the same time she couldn't care really if she died because yeah. her aim is just to take as know. many of them out as possible before they get yeah. so that's all she cares about for like that's that's her plan for the rest of her life it's all about the mission yeah yeah it's it's such a it's such a fast moment too where she's like what do wash and she's like he's not coming and there's like a moment literally a moment of silence to let it sink in and change like move these move these crates it's very similar to the like we, we, yeah. we don't have, have time. people seen dollhouse has everyone here watched dollhouse oh yes many many times so if i te- say, talk about the very end no one's gonna oh, no, go no ahead, one here's go gonna ahead, be go like ahead. dollhouse spoilers. oh okay yeah so yeah dollhouse spoilers if you haven't watched it um so it's the same hard-hitting death uh that i feel with paul ballard at the end of dollhouse he gets shot out on the street and they just move on and when they get inside it's very similar oh he's he's gone you know and you're just like whoa and the fact that the person who should be affected the most by it is so like hardened like hits you harder so the fact that you see here Zoe just like yep he's not coming let's get on with this shit you're like yeah just emotionally distraught here of course then we have all our you know that the from a structural beat, the all is lost. You know, we, we it's kind of a kind of a spread across. You know, Mal gets down and finds the uh, finds all the equipment destroyed. Then the love bot, you know, tells the story. You know, they killed me. The, there's there's a transmitter downstairs. Um, and then of course, you know, the shit starts hitting the fan upstairs. You know where you know. Uh, oh my god, Zoe gets. Zoe gets 
you know, slashed and Jane gets shot and Kaylee gets shot. The Reavers are breaking through, you know, everything's everything's going to going to shit. Right. The belly of the whale. I love how it kind of it almost seems to be getting faster and faster as every like it starts off relatively steady and then it gets more and more choppy as everything gets worse and worse and the the kind of the hits get faster and faster and then the, the door doesn't quite close and someone goes to get up and that shot comes through and everything goes into slow motion it's like everything's getting more and more chaotic and then suddenly boom like the real moment just hits and he like floats through the air like a leaf on the wind and hits the floor and then everything clicks back into kind of a relatively normal pace but like the way it's set up just like brings you right to this kind of scary point and then everything just slows down It's, it's it's did you like the the use of lighting in that scene when Simon so gets shot? Just, yeah, and and River and and Rivers, you know, so and Rivers talking to him and everything, and, and <sighs> all the lights go out when she, as as you were talking about earlier, but sure that she's like, you know, I'm gonna, it's my turn to take care of you. Then the yeah. lights come up, and she runs out, jumps through that little little hole in the door, throws the thing back, like throws his case back, closes the door, and all this while Mal's <laughs> having his <laughs> confrontation. With the with the, with the operator, where the operator was like, and that is that whole thing. He's like, he's like, I'm doing this thing, and he's like, Are you willing to die for that belief? He's like, Yes, I am. And they they start shooting the operator. He's like, That's not the first plan, though. <laughs> yeah, I like how we still have like our slight comic relief. Like the first yeah. thing we see is Mao enter the kind of platform area, and because he's been told it's hard to get to, but he looks and he's like. Like, hard to get to like yeah I'd say yeah. like so we have like the slight comic relief again and then we have the really painful moment much like the table uh, at Nara's place where he's shot in the back and when he falls he doesn't just fall he falls like onto the bar and I was just like my back hurt when that happened <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> it was so bad mm. then cues up possibly my favorite line in the whole movie possibly in the entirety of the series operative walks in oh you shot me in the back you know et cetera, et cetera. and the operative just looks at him and he's like there are a lot of innocent people in the air getting killed right now and Mal's like you have no idea how true that is oh it's like it's just such a brilliant line like there are so many things going on and it's just all crystallized into one line so good because he's referring to the reavers Malice, yeah. Now he knows that the Reavers were just essentially a science experiment gone wrong. Like, yes, they are the galactic boogeyman that have you know swept across the world, eating and raping and shooting as they please. But really, like, it, it's not their fault. They're not. They didn't. They, no one chose to be a Reaver. They had this inflicted on them. They are essentially still entirely innocent. And you know, but like, they're, they're they're dying in their droves up there because they're killed by the operative by the alliance who are you know just doing what they're told and it's ah it's it's a tricky situation and a horrible situation my favorite part of the fight uh, which sums up my whole like loving this crew because they're the underdogs Mm. is when mal's got the screwdriver (laughs) like that's his weapon like he's midway through the fight and he's like i'm still gonna like come at you with everything i've got yeah. with just a screwdriver like that just sums up for me like the entire like drive of this character yeah. and yeah I just love it it's brilliant yeah that's perfect well in the fight too the operative still hasn't learned he still hasn't learned his lesson with this character right because when he finally stabs Malcolm 
through the gut or the side of the sword. He's like, do you know what your sin is, Mal? And he's like, oh, I'm a fan of all seven. And he fucking punches him, pulls the sword out. And he's like, right now I'm going to go for wrath. Because because everyone else, like, dies at this point, right? Like, they give up. And Mal's like, no. So he, he literally pulls the sword out of himself. And then, of course, the the, the the operative uses his little little nerve trick, which, oh, it doesn't work. And I remember, I remember in the theater when Mal, when Malcolm punches him in the throat, then breaks his back and, 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 and you know, uses a sword to, 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 to keep him against the, the railing. And he's like, yeah, I had that nerve cluster move back in the war. And I remember, I, I remember the laugh in the theater, the, 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 the collective reaction, reaction to that. And, uh, but the best part is he's like, I'm going to show you what you want. A world without sin, which is Miranda, because there's no one there anymore. Yeah, it's it's brilliant because he picks up the sword and it's kind of like he could have easily killed him, but instead he's going to make him. He uses his own sword to just strap him there and force him, yeah, to see what it was he was fighting for, and just completely like tear apart everything that makes this person right. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's just. Oh, yeah. it's so well done there's, there's two kind of aspects of that fight they're kind of they kind of intermingle that I, I really love and it just makes it such a brilliant thing for a kind of end battle for me firstly I'm really glad they didn't suddenly have Mal bust out some fucking karate kid moves and like win the fight like it would have it would have been so dumb to have him suddenly be like throwing rocky moves and like dodging or like he didn't win the fight because he's suddenly an amazing warrior like he just as is his whole character. He just refused to give up and just kept standing back up and just taking the hits, getting up and just kept going until he almost kind of let the operative defeat himself, which you know, is as you know, all these kind of authoritarian regimes always do. So, yeah, mirroring. But then the second part, which is, uh, is so amazing, after he's strapped into the thing, he I mean, forces him to see his dream. And again, no words said, no exposition, no quippy lines. You just, all you see is the operative's face and his eyes tell the whole story. Like, you see, like, up until, like, even then, even when he was, you know, strapped to a wall, the guy was leaving, he wasn't really defeated. Yeah, he still, at any point, he could have, you know, shrugged his shoulders, sword blade, that he gets up, he's fight. But as he just sits there and watches that video, you see just absolute defeat not just on a physical level on like a spiritual mental intellectual every possible way to be beaten crosses his face in that like 30 seconds it's just absolutely stunningly done like everything you need to see is seen without without any words said without anything done it's just all on the face and it's amazing i i I can't (laughs) (laughs) very talented actor um, what do you think of the uh, the juxtaposition when he when he plays the recording and it starts up? He's like, as you can see, such and such, the such and such was meant to calm the population, and it immediately cuts to a reaver getting yeah. punched in yeah. the face by a river. That's great. And the juxtaposition of of the of the alliance trying to make people better, literally two <laughs> versions of them fighting each other. Yes. 
they tried to make River a super soldier and they tried to make people better and now now one is essentially killing the other. <laughs> that's a good point. Mm. The transitions are always on point. That's a that's a super buffy moment, by the way, and when she's just uh like ballerina like pirouetting around that room with a yeah, I would I would say it it stands up as well as the the earlier fight where you were to, you commented Tay, it you know, is it's, it's very dance like. She certainly has a style. Uh, can I? I want to bring it back real quick to to my boy uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge and the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Uh, so the cool thing about that is that when the ancient mariner who had shot the albatross with his crossbow is it when it is revealed to him what his sin was like and that's that's the operative's whole thing like do you know what your sin is so now when the operative is shown what his sin has been in that poem what happened to the ancient mariner is that he's kind of like he the the amazing thing is that everybody else on that ship dies except for him he survives and him surviving is the curse his the fact that he survived is a curse and that mal uh, allowed the operative to survive is kind of now the operative's curse because the way that i see it uh the operative is the ancient mariner who like in the poem will now spend the rest of his life wandering and telling that story as his penance because like in the poem like it begins with the ancient mariner like grabbing this wedding guest and telling him the story from beginning to end and that's what that video is that video is the story that's going to keep replaying in the operative's head as he wanders the the galaxy in penance which i think is just and i'm 100% sure this is intentional like the, the absolutely it's it's intentional thematically yeah absolutely what okay? What do we all think of the the the, the multi part ending? Because you have the you have the the uh, the the funeral, Serenity being repaired, Mal talking to the operative, Mal talking to Zoe, and then f- ending on on. I liked it. I, I I loved the conversation between Mal and Zoe, which is another piece of subtext where he's like. Um, you know, is a ship gonna fly? And she's like, it'll fly true. And they're what they're really talking about is, you know, her emotional and psychological well-being. Mm. And then, yeah, it's a little battered, but it'll fly true. Yeah, because they're not the kind of people who are gonna come out and right. talk about their emotions. But if you can, you can wrap yeah. it in something Subtext. else. And then that that what Mal talks about with with flying the ship at the end, I think, is a metaphor for the whole show. I think is a metaphor for it's a meta kind of thing about us being fans of this thing that crashed and burned because fox canceled it but love love kept it in the air keeps her flying (laughs) i uh, i i loved it although i for the first time because i i I showed a friend of mine uh the movie earlier this week so he'd never seen it um and we were watching it and then the the ending scene you know during the during the repairs where where Simon and Kay- Kaylee hook up, and then and then River kind of pokes her head down. She's watching them. I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. I mean, it's played for laughs, but yeah, I it is a little bit creepy. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't quite oh, sit right. <laughs> I don't know. I see it more. She's always like climbing through the ship into the weird spaces and like up on the rafters and whatever, and. 
She just happens to be there and she's very curious. And that, like, the next second, if it was to carry on, would be like, River, what are you doing? Like, and she'd like scuttle away. I don't think it's meant to be creepy or weird in any way, but yeah, I can understand why people look at it and would be like, that's a bit weird. What? You got kind of peeping Tom, like, you know, what's she doing? But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Because, and that's the only thing we see. Uh, well, no, we get to see River's real moment at the end, obviously, like flying the ship. So it's kind of like, yeah, it didn't need to be there, but, um, the, um, I also like the conversation with Anara. Ooh. When she's like, you're ready to get back to civilized life? And she's just like, uh, yeah, I don't, like, know. I don't know. about that. So I think I, I missed uh, getting to talk about this episode, but you know the one, it's called Heart of Gold, I think. Um, at the end of that episode, they kind of, Mal and Anara reach this thing where they finally have to say, you know, like, what's going to happen? What are we going to do here? What's this dance? And in that moment, like, Mal is about to confess that he has feelings for Inara, but she interrupts him. And as an audience, we're, we're expecting her to say, I love you. But what she does say is, I'm leaving. Which phonetically is very similar to I love you. I love you and I'm leaving can kind of be confused for one another. So, like, when she says I'm leaving for a second, you're kind of stunned and confused like that's built subconsciously into that piece of dialogue where you think for a second that she said I love you and she finally said it but really she's saying I'm leaving and I think the last line between them and this movie harkens back to that where she says I don't know you know it's like it's it's that same structure of uh I don't know I I, I have a point somewhere in here it's it's no no I get you I do want to say, I do want to say, like you, know, as far as you know, the wrapping up the, the the movie, you know, where where they're where, um, when River does the initial takeoff, and you know, he's like, oh, you cleared out some aptitude, then he takes controls back. But I do like the ending, where as we said, you know, it's it because he he essentially wraps up the theme and and his his new belief structure that he's learned over the course of the movie, right? So. You gonna ride shotgun with me, help me fly? That's the plan. Think you can work out? Okay. Clearly some aptitude for it. Ain't all buds and charts for the lava trust. You know what the first rule of flying is? Well, I suppose you do, since you already know what I'm about to say. I do, but I like to hear you say it. Love, you can learn all the math in the verse. If you take a boat in the air that you don't love, she'll shake you off just as sure as a turn in the world. Love keeps her in the air when she ought to fall down. Tells you she's hurting for she kings. Makes her home. Storm's getting worse. We'll pass through it soon enough. It's 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 just a really really nice ending, and um, and it could it could have ended without the final joke. I actually I actually say I guess that may be, may be my only complaint. 
I mean, I, I understand that the idea is that, you know, more things change, the more they stay the same. Because, you know, he, he makes a speech and then Serenity does a little barrel roll and then then the then a piece flies yeah. off the ship. And he's like, what was that? Yeah. Right, Laura? Like he did at the Fast beginning. Fast and <laughs> It's like a, it's a punctuation. So you don't like it, but I... I, it, I mean, I, 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 I look, okay, I, I don't want to say I don't like it. I think it would have worked as well with it right, as okay. with. I, I would, I would sort of agree with you on that but this time watching it something else hit me basically you could end it with his big speech and they fly off and it's amazing and that's an end but given everything they've set up during that finishing monologue with her like with like you know um mal's talk with anora like are you going back are you staying here she's like i don't know and then you know they're, they're making out and freaking river's watching the creeper and then they fly away and something falls <laughs> off and it's like okay this this is this is an ending but but, but just somehow that the joke yeah like it it kind of makes it feel more like there's still things like the fact that the last line in the film is also his first line in the film kind of sub, like somewhere in the back of my mind I was like oh wait a minute so this is still the beginning like this isn't this isn't well, the end of it, their story in any way. This is just the beginning of a separate story. We may not be there to see it, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen somewhere out there in the verse. Like, admittedly, yeah, finishing on a sort of cheap joke after that amazing speech does lessen the impact of his amazing speech a bit. But it leaves you kind of with a little half smile thinking, okay, maybe we haven't seen the last of these people, even though we don't we know we have because Fox are dickheads. But we can we can live in a world <laughs> where parts fall off the ship, but she stays flying and Fox aren't dickheads and we got 10 seasons and they were all amazing. I think it is like very much a beginning because it is us almost being like reintroduced to these characters where they are now. Kaylee and Simon are together and, you know, like... Um, Zoe's having to like start life without Wash. Jane is still Jane, and yeah. And then we have obviously like River taking up her new mantle as pilot or co-pilot. And um, yeah, it is. It is. It is a fresh beginning for them where they're not going to be chased by the Alliance and they can actually live their lives probably very similar to they they were, but <laughs> not as as fugitives um, at least. And uh, yeah, it's nice. And I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, like it could have been rounded and left where it was. It was like a very nice thing. But it's always nice to go into the credits with a bit of a laugh, isn't it? I mean, it, like if, if that's my if that's my only complaint about the movie, then then we're doing pretty good because I'm, I'm pretty I'm I look, I'm pretty critical of movies because I, I these break like the this breakdown I did. I kind of do for everything. And I look at all the pieces and, and then see what's you know, what works, why it works, what doesn't work. Um, but just I said the simple fact that it's 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 a rich story. It's a fully realized world. The three main characters, as I said, River, River Mal, and even the operative, all have complete and full arcs. And to to give three main characters complete arcs that that's no small feat. Does anyone know why the movie didn't do well in theaters? Like I remember watching it and liking it, but I but my understanding is it didn't it didn't perform well. Now was that critically? What was that critically in box critically office? Critically so well, but fiscally yeah. not so well. I think it's a combination of the fact it was quite expensive. Like it's quite a sort of relatively expensive thing to make, and at that time it was a relatively niche sort of genre. Like I think uh, I've said this a million times in a million different episodes of this podcast, both for this, for Dollhouse, and for the Nevers. 
Joss's big problem, maybe, well, maybe not now, but back in day, Joss's big problem is he was always two or three years ahead of kind of prevailing moods. Like he really stole house. It didn't do very well. A few years later, Westworld comes out, biggest show on TV. See, I would, I would say uh, Altered Carbon feels more like uh, Dollhouse than Westworld. In terms of, yeah, yeah, story is very similar, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And that did quite well as well, it I did. think. Um, and it's unfortunate that, yeah, Dollhouse didn't hit that mark. It did but not. I think, I mean, I didn't know uh, of Serenity when it came out in the theatres, but I can imagine that purely because it was a big blockbuster sci-fi that didn't have a large name attached to it, it didn't do well. I feel like every um, film that comes out now, if it's not got, you know, Matt Damon or someone in it, no one's going to go watch it. Like... I don't know. Tell, tell, tell that to Ridley Scott. Oh, was he? Oh, was he mad? Which, by the way, look at. I'm sorry for the for this for the completely different tangent. Ridley Scott can piss off because if you didn't make it, don't blame the audience. They didn't come to your movie. Um, maybe blame the marketing department or your own decision in what movies to make. Maybe yeah, like, think- don't get mad at people for not going to see your film during a freaking pandemic. That's my main thing. Yeah. That's my main thing. I feel like the studios can't be mad at, and, and even actors like like trying to plug their film, make sure you go see it in the theatre. Like, Dune did the same thing. Please, mm. you know, it has to be experienced in the theatre. And I'm like, maybe I want to watch your film without possibly dying. Like, do you know what I mean? If yeah. I don't feel comfortable going to the cinema right now and sitting with 100 people that aren't wearing masks, like... Yeah. I I won't I, I simply won't I will wait for it until it's on my television like so being plugged to like go and watch films now I'm kind of like mm, do I like and I went to see Spider-Man and I was just filled with the, the ever frustration because it was like I've seen a, uh, what did I go to see I went to see Suicide Squad but there was like two other people in the theatre because it was a little bit after it was out and it was like the middle of the day but when I went to see Spider-Man it was like more busy and I was just like filled with all that hatred that I remember from a year ago going to the cinema people are loud people putting their lights on their phone people on their phones people you know eating really loudly at the quietest moment in the movie and I kid you not the quietest most emotional part of the Spider-Man movie sitting and opening the loudest packet dropping something honestly and I'm just like filled with all this hatred and I'm just like I wouldn't have this at home I've got my big TV screen I can sit in utter silence you know uh, and I was kind of just like infuriated so I kind of remembered why maybe the cinema isn't as great as you want I I'd love the big screen and the sound it's epic mm. and I, I feel like I I want to enjoy the biggest films that are coming out in that way. You know, if they re-release Serenity, yeah, I'd go and see that at the cinema. For sure. But I, I don't want my experience being ruined by other people, and unfortunately it generally is. Yeah. So anyway, back to Serenity. I feel like if they were to do a reunion of Firefly and get them all in a room together, it would be really natural and they'd all just get on. Yeah. Unlike the Friends reunion where it was oh, like so fake. That was painful. It was so fake. The only person that seemed like a real person, it was uh, Matt LeBlanc, yeah. who seemed genuinely happy to be there to see the rest of the guys. And everybody else was just like there for themselves and like, oh my God, it's so good to see you. Quietly seething. Like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I apologize yeah, for getting us off topic. We've covered the end of the film. Everything after here is just is gravy. It's like if we're hitting a major milestone, try and organise a sort of Disney Plus reunion. Because I mean, all of all of the Whedon stuff is on Disney Plus now. So 
and I believe there's even talk of the Firefly reboot that hopefully will never happen being on on Disney Plus. Serenity is oh yeah about it being like a more kiddie version yeah. which would probably suck yeah. but oh well but um, Serenity is not on Disney or at least not in the UK because it's uh, it was put out by Universal not by Fox yeah um, which is yeah weird so yeah that's not on Disney but the, the, the show is yeah <laughs> Well, it's on Netflix at the minute, Serenity. And I've got it on DVD, so I don't really mind, but it's just annoying. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have to try what... and find it. <laughs> I sat down to watch it. I was like, oh, what's it on at the minute? Like, oh, I think it's on Netflix, but I've got like three copies of the DVD. So it's like, <laughs> does it really matter? I have like a really awesome art cover that HMV did um, where they did like comic book covers of anything that was like kind of nerdy. And um, yeah, it's beautiful. You know what would be what would be interesting? Like, if they brought uh, if they brought a Firefly revival on Disney Plus, I feel like uh, you know like a twenty year fast forward or like thirty year fast forward or something like that. It would be cool to see, you know. Obviously, it would be a whole new cast of characters, but I think organically, what would happen with Mal would be that he would settle down. That's the only place you that. can go to with him to show some kind of change. Like, he's always about, uh, always flying, still flying, but now that he's one, you know. Yeah. If, if, if we kind of, we get little mentions of the crew and they're all, they're all kind of settled down, but then there's a new crew, like, totally new setup, but then kind of the Shepherd Book character, the kind of the wise old mentor, is the operative from Serenity. Yeah. That was so Oh, it happened. I, I've right. got it. I got it. Uh, they're so the crew okay because there's some they, they have a ship and they, they transport you know crew and cargo and whatnot it became successful so mal is a mal is actually a successful businessman who owns a, a company with a bunch of firefly <laughs> class ships. that'd be good <laughs> and and he's semi-retired so we can follow a different crew but they still work for him so you keep the original crew you keep the original cast that'd members cool. involved and maybe two of the crew members are um, a, like baby wash and baby Tam. I I like the idea of coming at it from the alliance's perspective because we we've um. been in the shoes of a brown coat, but I feel like now the only way to subvert it would be like get into the head of alliance officers and and you know it'd be cool like if you guys ha- if you guys have seen Loki that that oh, TV yes. show the cool thing about that mm-hmm. is that Loki is this kind of ar- like this um like chaotic like anarchic guy who's put into bureaucracy and to kind of see him see him like the bureaucracy crumble around him or just the contrast between those two forces i feel like it would be really cool if like we fast forward 30 years in the future and then like like cut to river in an alliance uniform and she's like a colonel and she's 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 in charge of the new alliance which is this kind of resurgence of or i guess uh, reconstruction of the old regime, which has fallen apart, just kind of like redeeming mm. what was what was rotten into something better, and the, who better to be in charge of that than River? I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of interesting places they could go. That would definitely work. Yeah, 
I think it's a key thing to do is like not try and reboot it as it was. Like I feel like mm. How I Met Your Mother has just brought out this How I Met Your Father Oy. thing and it's going to bomb from the very first episode because people aren't going to watch it first off because they're going to think that it's going to be rubbish mm. and it probably is going to be rubbish yep. so anyone that does go to watch it is going to stop, right? Um, that 70s show is going to have a, I think it's a Netflix revival, but it's going to be that 90s show and it's going to be uh, not, like they did with the 80s show where they were trying to just do a carbon copy but in a new decade with different characters but doing the same kind of thing this is going to be like Eric and Donna's daughter or whatever that goes to stay with Kitty and Red uh, over the summer so it's going to have Kitty and Red and then this new character and the old characters might drop in kind of from time to time but it's going to be and I think that's the nice balance like if we have new characters, some of which are like their kids, and then we see the old characters drop in as like cameos every now and then to kind of appease us, um, I think that would be like the yeah, like the perfect outcome. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that I would add to this movie. Serenity is some indication in the end when they're all in Serenity. I want to see like Zoe, like like her hand across her stomach, yeah, or something. Yes, I want to see some indication of a, of a wash baby. Yeah, I was wondering if there was any indication in the movie, but like there isn't because I'm not sure what year that graphic novel came out where we learned that she was pregnant and yeah. There's uh, there's a couple wrap up items here on the, there at the bottom. Uh, does the film satisfy your need for closure with the series? I yeah, pretty yeah, much. I think so. There is one more point I would raise that this may this may be the wrong time to raise it, but I feel like. I can't let this podcast go and not say it. Um, so basically the whole kind of arc of this film was leading up to the reveal of how the Reavers were created and everything. And um, yeah, the reveal is, is super dumb and doesn't work on a number of levels. Like, I, I don't like the reveal of how the Reapers came to be. And I don't like basically anything to do with any of that. But it's... It you it, just, like it, does, it doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't tie in with Bushwhacked, where we see the guy literally become a reaver just because he goes a bit squirrely. Like it really feels like they had a much much longer arc plans, and they couldn't. They were like, "Fuck it! How can we explain how this happened in like twenty, thirty minutes tops?" I actually had a similar thought that one one contradicts the other, but it might not because they because they, they in Bushwhacked they assumed he became a reaver because he was exposed to reavers but it could have been literally just a psychotic break that that presented itself as reaverism as it were mm. i mean you you could i mean that's one potential way to explain i think for it. reavers to still be in existence in the universe like 10 years or whatever after miranda it would be essential and this this plays into it in a good way that when people come into contact, sometimes the people they take become reavers mm. uh, because otherwise the population I feel would have died out by Absolutely. now. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think that it actually plays into Bushwhacked in a positive way. That's their reproduction. Have we, did we ever see any, and in, in all the times you saw reavers, do we ever see any women reavers or was it always it's kind of hard to tell. I think it's hard to tell. Yeah. I think at that point, the Jinx. gender boundaries kind of dissolve. It's just a massive nihilism yeah well i mean if, if you think about it if everyone's if everyone's on their their base instincts and they still have the fundamentals that made them made them people the ability to to move forward to pursue 
you know, food and I mean, we'll say food, I mean people, but you know, because they're cannibals, but food and drink and and sex and whatnot. Yeah. Um, So, and once again, I said there, there has to be a, for them to, to, to be able to operate shifts, there has to be a hierarchical structure of some sort to keep them from just eating each other. So, I mean, it, it stands to reason, but, but, we don't know if we've ever seen any any women reavers. So did it only affect did it only affect the male part of the population, in which case they'll die out on their own anyway? No, I doubt it. I think that's you know, taking a scalpel to like to to something that's a little too sensitive to I I forget the word, what do you use scalpels for? But Saturate. but <laughs> yeah there you go like it's too a little it's a little too surgical. I think as a metaphor it works, like what these reavers are. Um, so ba- basically, they hold up as metaphor, but not, but not to any intense scrutiny. Yeah, yeah, logistically, probably not. Mm-hmm. I actually, that's, that's a that's a the, the metaphor is what was missing with this revelation. Like, I really was hoping that when we found out what it was that made the Reavers Reavers, it would kind of teach us something about like ourselves or civilization or that world and said it was just oh government bad tried to do good thing fucked up morons uh, it, it it felt like it didn't quite it didn't have that sort of whedon punch that i was kind of expecting for something as huge as the origin of the reavers like i, I kind of i wanted there to be just a little bit more yeah i yeah. think it was mostly just like uh, we have a movie and we need this thing to fit. So they just, yeah, like retconned it. Well, again, like, and I, I'm I'm like, this is totally intentional because it, it is uh, this, like, it is definitely ripped directly off the pages of Brave New World because yeah. of the character of the savage who, like, he has a choice between either, you know, this, this, um, this comfort that is empty and not nutritional or just complete lunacy. Those are his two choices. And that's a kind of a pessimistic view of the world, but that's a dystop, that is the dystopia that, that, you know, tyranny wants to, the only way for tyranny to subdue and to maintain itself is to sedate people. Not to, it's, they're not trying to help people. They're trying to sedate people. And the mm. consequence of sedation is also the opposite of that, which is aggression. It's like a heightened, like, vitriol. And, and I don't know. That, that's, I think it's, it's definitely being pulled just by Miranda and that <laughs> yeah. whole. There's an attempt being I made there. I love the film Equilibrium, which is like the same deal. You know, they, they give them a drug to take away their, their feelings, their emotions. Now, what that leads to is a lot of people kind of like rebelling because like, what's the point of living if you can't feel? Yeah, there's no war, there's no violence, there's no crime. But are you really living? Like if you're not, if you, if you can't feel anything? Um, and I think for me, like Firefly, when we watch it, a lot of the time we're talking about heart and like for me that's the kind of juxtaposition is that like their their ship and the people they have and all their different personalities and then opposite to that we have this world where everybody was having all of that taken away from them essentially to be docile like calm beings that didn't feel and it's like well I'd rather be like Serenity and have like all this heart and all this emotion than 
and live like a crazy chaotic life than have nothing. So I think it's a good um so I think it's a good uh storyline to show us that and like it fits with the reavers and everything. But yeah, it is also a little bit like let's just do this and have it like this. But I don't know, I forgive it. I I to to kind of punctuate the whole thing, I was never su- like even in the show I was never super invested in the Reavers. So so for me, so I've once again watched the movie like all of you watched the movie first. Them as a a plot device is kind of okay with yeah. me. Because I think the big thing when you watch the show is all about the Alliance and the Hands of Blue. The Reavers are just like this scare tactic and this thing that makes it like... It's a thing for them to run away from when they're in like a tricky situation and something for them to be scared of um, in this big old universe. But yeah, I don't think it's necessarily like the most important thing in the TV show. It's more about the Alliance and the Hands of Blue and everything. That's like the scarier thing. I guess too, when you really think of it too, it's like, you know... It's 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 kind of adjusting your mindset because you think of all the dead people as victims, but the reavers are victims too. Hmm. Like they're played up as the as the boogeyman and you know the danger and whatnot. But these are people you know they didn't die, hmm. but they might as well have. Uh, I do have I do have something to say about David Newman's score, though. They stay uh, in general. I like the music, but when you when you buy the soundtrack, it feels incomplete. I was going to say what I made notes of is that the music's very good. It's really varied, um, like moving from world to world and stuff. Uh, it's very interesting and kind of different. Um, but I think like you, I have the soundtrack and when you listen to it, it's not like... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bunch of pieces. Like yeah. It's a bunch of pieces that are 30 seconds to a minute and a half. So it feels like the score was like, they're like, okay, we only have this much money. So only, literally only score the scene, whereas you get like any other movie and... You've got a full and complete score, and you know you may have more music that than 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 what, what appeared in the movie. In the movie. And I it, have it, to it say, just, it, it uh, feels like its own thing. A soundtrack that's similar. Uh, Mark Giacchino did the music for Rogue One, the Star Wars movie. Uh, he got the job last minute. I think the original composer pulled out, and he did it all in like two weeks. Like got given all the material and wrote this all in two weeks. It is phenomenal. But when you listen to the soundtrack alone, it also doesn't feel like very cohesive. And all the all, every single track is quite short. Like you say, it's like they didn't have enough time to let him. And it's not his fault as a composer. Like I say, he had a very short time to make this, and the music that he made is amazing. But because of the time limit, probably it's kind of like he didn't create an entire soundtrack that that kind of survives on its own with the movie it's phenomenal um and that's yeah like this because it's very choppy we go from like light-hearted comedy to like action so you know and as the movie the movie like does it seamlessly and the music fits it perfectly but yeah to listen to it as a soundtrack on its own yeah, it's yeah. very yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the 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 pieces in isolation are great, but as a when you if you try to listen to those as a cohesive whole, it doesn't work. I've been rewatching Battlestar Galactica recently, and I still maintain the soundtrack for that series is one of the best ever produced. To the point that actually, I listened to like my most listened to album of 2021 was "So Say We All," which is the live performance of, of selected tracks from the soundtrack like those songs hold up 
on their own. You can listen to them and they're just a piece of music that's brilliant and just happens to be tied to a TV series. The score, the score for this film is very much dependent on the existence of the film. You need to, like, they're great piece of Newman did a fantastic job kind of augmenting the scene, but you very much need the visuals and the scene there to understand the music. Whereas in, there are many cases where the soundtrack can stand on its own and be its own thing. Like, that doesn't mean this is a bad score. It's, it's, it's a fantastic score, but it very much requires the scene for the pieces to kind of make sense. Listening to it just as an album, it seems really kind of bizarre and it doesn't feel right because it's it's not an album. It's meant to be part of this greater whole where you take this great piece of music, put it onto a great scene with great dialogue and great action, and it become it lifts it to and it's like a really good source for a dish. Like the dish is great, add the sauce, it becomes next level. The scene is great, add Newman's score, takes it to the next level. But if you just drink the sauce on its own, it feels like it's missing something. And that's that's what I felt with this. Yeah, so wrapping up, you can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Podcasts, and YouTube, and pretty much anywhere else you can get your podcasts. For more Nevers-related content, you can find us on the web at hbothenevers.com, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at hbothenevers, and at the Nevers Podcast, also at the Nevers Podcast without the A on Twitter. Uh, any comments or questions, please send them to the Nevers Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, like, yeah, so if, if you want to hear more from our ramblings that are less, not completely averse to Whedon, but not directly connected to the Whedonverse, uh, you can find me on Twitter at The Hound, that's T H E H O U N D. Laura, do you want to jump in and say yours? Yeah, uh, if you want to see some nerdy stuff and random things, uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, LauraJP1721. Uh, what about you, Jason? Yes, you can find me also on Instagram at Jason C. Marshall, uh, where I post uh, script writing related stuff and some stuff about the nevers and uh but i gotta get back on top of that and maybe write some articles for the website too since i've been been slacking as a member of generation z you can find me on myspace um i'll be on yahoo at uh, at, uh booby lover 423 uh <laughs> underscore <laughs> Chirag doesn't want to be found on anything just leave Chirag alone it's his happy space <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It was nice talking to you guys. Yeah, great talking to everybody. Yeah, you too, man. Uh, I hope everybody has enjoyed listening to our ramblings and our uh, hopefully insightful and um, in-depth conversation of uh, Serenity the movie. Bye. Bye, everybody. Remember, you can't stop the signal. signal. This was a Culture Inject production.